Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. What's good, everybody? Welcome back to the Talking Comics Podcast. It's Wednesday, April 27th, 2022, and you're listening to episode number 544. I am your host, Steve Say, and joining me for this week's show are Mr. Bob Ryer. A belated happy birthday to the Queen of the Pinups, Betty Page, but more importantly, an early happy birthday to Bronwyn Kelly Say. Hey, I know that person. I hope so. They're all right. They're all right. Oh, Oh, man. I hope she doesn't hear that. Believe me, I have been. All right, we'll we'll talk about it in a second. Aaron Amos is here. Hello, hello. Hello, sir. Uh, And John Burkle is also here. Hey, Aaron, ask me what I did last week. (laughs) No. (laughs) What did you do last week? (laughs) A healthy healthy dose of guilt. I caught up on Doctor Who. (laughs) Get you. And they did Jody Whitaker no favors. <laughs> <laughs> so you, we, we should talk about Flux later. I just want to talk about Flux. Okay. okay. <laughs> oh, that sea devils, though. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. All right. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Um, so I got to be careful with how much that I say because this comes out on Wednesday. Uh, not that she, I mean, I know she listens to the show sometimes, but I don't want to give too much away. Um, needless to say, we were talking about some of my stresses off air and one of them has been, although this is a lovely, lovely thing. Uh, I have been planning a surprise for Bronwyn. It's going to be her 45th. Wow. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to do something really special for her. She has always told me that she loves surprises, but I suck at, creating situations where there are surprises because I can never keep anything from her. I tell her everything, you know, she's Which is good. I mean, that's, that's a nice relationship, but every once in a while. Oh, absolutely. I mean, she, she is everything to me. She knows everything the whole bit, but like, so there have been instances where I know the plan, but she doesn't. And there have been things over the past little while because of the pandemic and visiting and and doing this and that, the other thing, like, I know things that are going on that I've, it's taken everything within my power (laughs) to not spill the beans and not make her feel better about certain situations that we've been meeting with in the last little while. Like, oh my God, I could make this so much better for you if I could just tell you what we're doing. But anyway, uh, it's all going down. Uh, it starts. The pregame starts Wednesday night, Ooh. and then uh, Thursday is kind of the the big reveal. We're going to be going on a trip, and um, when we get to our destination, she is mm. going to be very pleased. She is going to cry. Nice, and and it's going to be happy tears, 
And we're going to be away from Thursday, I believe, into Sunday. We'll probably come back like midday Sunday. Um, and I'm sure that you'll hear more about it I hope so. uh, on next week's I'm show. If, if I'm, if I'm, I hope to be there. I, I got to see where I'm at. Um, but uh, it's going to be a good time. I'm really excited about it. And I think that she's going to freak out. So it's good stuff. Nothing better than that. If you get some, your, your significant other to freak out over something you did, that's It's very cool. Yeah. Well, she, she surprised me one year for my, uh, Oh God, what was it? I don't know if it was my 30. It was one of my birthdays. I can't remember which one I should, but I don't. Um, I, I'd been texting with her like all day as I, as I normally did. This is when I, I still lived in, in New York. And, um, I walk, I, I had to go to my mom's house to do the whole, you know, family get together, dinner, birthday cake, the whole bit. And I was like, eh, like, I don't really, I don't really want to, I was in such a miserable mood because all I wanted to do was be with Bronwyn and I was home and I'm like, oh, this sucks. And so we yeah. went over to my family's house. I walk into my mom's place and Bronwyn just very casually walks out from around the corner, like the basement. Nice. You've been into that basement. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Bob, yeah. That little, yeah. So she walks out of that doorway. My two nieces they couldn't have been more than like maybe five and eight years old. Bronwyn walks around the corner and of course, out of my mouth, pardon my French, but I just thought, what the fuck? There's nothing else to say right then, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And like the whole family just, oh, they're so like shocked that a, a curse came out of my mouth. Um it was it was hilarious. She almost killed me. I, I yeah. almost keeled over from from being shocked right there. Um, I wish that somebody had filmed it because it was just, it was what, it was probably my favorite birthday gift that I ever got because all I wanted, I didn't want any, I didn't want any gifts. I didn't want any games. I didn't want anything like that. I just wanted to be with her. And there she was. And like the first, aside from that word, the other words out of my mouth was like, my house is so trashed right now. I can't believe I'm going back to my house later. It's such a mess. And she's like, I don't care. I don't exactly. care. I'm like, I do. You can't see how I live. <laughs> but now she knows. Uh, I had one of those. It was way, it was many, many years ago. It was my, would have been my 39th birthday. So obviously decades ago. And it was right from, it was the year after my dad had passed away. And it was right around my birthday. And you know, in your life, you sort of sometimes, you've got groups of friends who don't kind of know each other because you're, you're mm-hmm. kind of all over the map. Right. Well, um, it's, it's the mother of my goddaughter. She knew that there was somebody in my life as a, a lady who worked in Patchogue and we, we did concerts and stuff together that she kind of knew everybody as it turns out. So I was being invited to, to like a birthday dinner with some friends, part of this group. And it's like, you know, I'm really just bummed because it seems like no one's remembering my birthday. And this is one I really needed. And it's like, no, we're going to dinner. I was like, no, I, look, I just don't go to McDonald's. I don't care. I really don't. No, we're going here. We're going. No, I don't care. I really don't. You're coming. All right, fine. Oh, but we got to stop and pick up Jill first. So we, go, we walk up mm-hmm. the stairs. It's one of those split level things, the old fashioned splits where there's a garage underneath and the living room's upstairs. Walk up the stairs to a room filled with 40 people from all parts of my life, all in one room together. 
Whoa. That's awesome. Home cooked food, the whole thing. But what was really weird, you remember that scene in Shaun of the Dead where they walk past each other at the fence? Yes. And you can see people there, they're all the same. Well, I'm I'm looking around the room, it's like, well, you're that person in that group, but you're the same over here. <laughs> I hope you've met each other tonight. So cool. Just so cool. And and it's that kind of thing. That that kind of surprise just it, it Look, I remember it all these years ago, and it just it, it still touches me. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Steve. Cool, I'm wrong. You got yeah. so you got to reciprocate, and give give it back. <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. We'll see. I, I, t- I told her this is this is going to be the last time that a surprise not the last time that a surprise happens, but like I'm going to have to take a little a little time off after this to recuperate from <laughs> the secret secret keeping. Like we don't keep. Uh, holiday gifts we don't like I, I have i have gifts for her for her birthday that are still in my closet i cannot believe that i've not given them to her yet good for you i'm staying strong staying yeah. strong all right um here's the deal here's the podcast we've got lightning rounds of course we have a couple of uh news items that we're going to quickly go through nothing too major just a lot of movie related and television related things um where so when i do my lightning round I'm going to talk about a book and then we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back to the show, uh, I'm joined by Chris Carey of thirsty on tune and talking comics and, and uh, Gotham outsiders and so on and so forth. Uh, They joined me for an in-depth discussion about Heartstopper from Alice uh, Osman. It is the um, ongoing comic book series and now a Netflix Series season one dropped on to the service last Friday. Watched it, loved it, read it. I need. I needed somebody to meet my energy for this because I just I wanted people to hear the passion. We had an absolutely amazing talk about it. Uh, there's going to be more Heartstopper coming to the website and to the po- podcast feeds overall. Uh, at least a very in depth uh, Thirsty on Tune episode that's going to be happening. And uh, possibly dropping later this week, I believe. And um, yeah, so definitely check it out. Like, I'm probably going to put music in between the breaks. Ooh. So if there's like music, like we are coming back. There is more show. So so if you hear tool don't. in between, it's you're coming back. Yeah, okay. right. No, you could put that. Yeah. No, well, maybe you can't. We get fourteen <laughs> we can't seconds worth, that. and then <laughs> yeah. you're right, John. <laughs> Yeah, we definitely could not afford to put a <laughs> song in this podcast. There are lots of like instrumental bits that I would love to use for things, but that is illegal. And as much as I love them, I don't know that they love me back. At least not like that. Not enough to give me their music to use for our little podcast. I'm sure Maynard would understand. I think Maynard would be the one who didn't understand. Okay. <laughs> what, what about your friend Rachel? Is it Rachel? Yeah, Rachel. Yeah, I think she'd she'd be good. Rachel. Oh my God. Yeah. No. Yeah. She amazing. Like. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that would have to that would have to be a, a business transaction, <laughs> and uh, I. Yeah, it would. That would be amazing, but I can't think about that okay. right now. Okay. So we're get too excited. We're moving. Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, we've been her and I've actually been chatting a lot about a couple of things. Um, yeah, she's great. She's great. It's really cool when like. You meet someone from one of your favorite bands, and then you become legit friends. Oh, like yeah. you're not just, you know, a uh, fan being, oh, hey, what's going on? Like Love we your meet set. up, we talk. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. 
we have our own little DM thing. We talk about music. It's it's a nice time. Maybe she's, she uh, could guest on the podcast. <gasps> Maybe sometime down the road, if there's a there's an appropriate, we got a we got a Patreon sure. coming one of these days. It could be perfect. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Um, I would love for her to come on, but like I said, it would need to be it would need to be the right temperature in the room. Uh, if we have like a music related podcast, uh, I'm, knows? I'm up. I'm up for that. You know that. Yeah, she's great. Should uh, uh, Rachel Fannin yep. is uh, is her name? You should go and check her out. She's incredible. She, she is. Okay, let's go. Let's um, go. Let's yeah, Bob. Why don't you uh, dazzle us with the lightning? Oh, round. alrighty then. So. World's Finest Number Two by Mark Wade, Dan Mora, Tamra Bonvion, and Aditya Bidikar was just another delightful slice of Silver Bronze Age goodness. What with Superman being saved from his red K woes of last issue through some nifty surgery by Niles Calder and his Doom Patrol, we got some fun guest appearances happening as well, and also, of course, a diabolical new villain. Look, if you're fans of the old days, and the new days doesn't. This is as good as it gets. This is just a superb book. Catwoman, nice. Lonely City number three by Cliff Chang. Uh, wow, this went to <laughs> some dark places, especially considering uh, her new associates. Let's just put it that way. But there's all in fine service to what's been a deep and stylish dive into the world of an older, if not necessarily wiser, Selena Kyle. Her plan to break into the Batcave, well, well, that's gone a bit sideways. And not only because of Mayor Harvey Dent's uh, near martial law edicts, Cliff Chang is just simply put, killing it. Absolutely killing it with this Black Label miniseries. Catwoman 42 by Teeny Howard, Nico Leone, Veronica Gandini, Simon Boland also brought trouble to Selena as her campaign against Gotham's underworld has a new front, as Roman Sionis's, a.k.a. Black Mask, well, he's inserted himself in on the gangster side. For me, look, this new run has been stellar so far. Cool overall plot, engaging characterizations by Teeny Howard. The art by Nico Leone and Veronica Gandini is just out of this world. Look, between Cliff Chang's Lonely City and Teeny Howard's Catwoman... This is a spectacular time to be reading about Selena Kyle and Catwoman and this character. Just, I yeah. won't say I won't say anything about other books that feature her. Now, I told I completely and totally agree with you, Bob. Yeah. the The Catwoman stuff has been just out of this world. That that Catwoman series that's happening right now is really something special. It's some of the best stuff that I've seen for that character since the Joel Jones. Absolutely, I, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with that. There are some like not only I'll say my quick bits about this now, uh, not to interrupt, yeah. but like I um I love the, the Catwoman, I, this is so cheesy, but like Catwoman has claws in yeah. this series. She does. Like she is she is on point and she she's not mean, but she is like affirmative and she she gets in there and I just I love how biting some of her dialogue is and how she just coldly calls people out for what and who they are. Mm -hmm. And I really, really enjoy that aspect. And oh my God, there is some really cool, the artwork overall is spectacular, but there are a lot of great outfits in this series. I like as simple as it is, 
her going to bed with her mask, with the mask still on, on and just like a pair of sweats. Yeah. 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 And having like a, like a pair of sweatpants, the black shirt and the black, yep. like, yeah, the black ankle socks that those panels of her, like, you know, hissing up like a cat onto the bed and then leaping backwards and throwing the sheet over their, over their head with her yeah. feet was just so, so good. Loved it. John, you read this one it. too? As long as, oh, as long as we're yeah. going into Catwoman. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it as well. I am the the artwork's just so good here, and I just love the characterization of Selena. And for a character that has always seemed kind of like a, portrayed as a loner, I love how she's like collecting people, like friends yeah. and and even enemies. She's keeping them close. The banter between her and I, I'm drawing a blank on the the son's name. Uh, the, Oh, oh, I know who you're talking about. That's a great relationship there. And how she just taunts Black Mask. I loved it. Yeah. I just loved every moment of that uh, that book. That Yeah, this is great. I couldn't tell. I think this ended this arc. And so see where we go next. But no, this is great stuff. Yeah, this connective tissue through to the next. But yeah, this is sort of ne- next. I think we're getting Harley and yeah. Selena. And according to the promotion... At the roller derby, please, please, awesome. <laughs> Got to see me some of that. Uh, my final you, book. Go ahead. Oh, go, Steve. Go, go, go. Have you? Oh, just one more yeah. question. Have you seen solicits for this? Like, is is Teeny staying on the book? Yes. Yes. Nearly as okay, I can awesome. tell through at least July, but how you know past yeah. that, who knows? But please, Teeny Howard, please stay on this book because, as you say, Steve, since Joelle was on the book and then she got interrupted, kind of, but that. That was stylish looking. We had some of that characterization, had her own little story set in that crazy little sort of awful town that she was in. But this, Mm -hmm. bring her back to Gotham, interacting with these people. You get the Black Mask stuff going on. Batman's there, but not in the same way that, you know, with with, uh, Harley in the last movie, as well, we know mm-hmm. that you're not the Joker's boyfriend anymore. Well, she's kind of this not with the bat thing, but yes and no, and it just it just informs a lot of stuff and really deepens all the interactions. What is yeah. Selena's carving out her place in this? She doesn't. She's not going to. No, she never probably did. Doesn't need Bruce, and it doesn't here at all. She has her own new. As you're saying, gather the gather your friends. Just pick collecting. These people who need her help and who can help her. Brilliant characterization by Teeny Howard. Like I remember Batman being mentioned. Like there was some mm-hmm. mention of them not wanting. Like there was there was a vote that was supposed to go they're through. Worried about, hesitant. They're worried about bringing the bat down on him if they yep. do something to Catwoman. Right, right. Um, they should but, worry about what Selena is going to do. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. I'm going to say. I think it's, but it's, I think it's also a testament to the book and to the character being written the way that they're being written is, I mean, I have a crap memory. We've all established that, but I, Batman is a completely and totally at like an afterthought yes. while reading this. Like he doesn't, the minute that he enters my, my periphery, he's gone in this book. Like I'm this, I'm here for Selena. I am not here for bat related shenanigans, even though I'm sure that they'll come. And when they, when they do, under this pen, I think it'll be really engaging and really cool. Right. So he'll be the side character to Selena. Yeah, as opposed exactly. to what we've seen way too often the other way. And look, before I dive into my last book, you guys should definitely not sleep on Lonely City by Cliff Chang. 
Yeah. I have all of those <sighs> physically. I just, I haven't, I, ha- I read the first one. I've not cracked the other two yet. I was, is it done? No, there are, I think there are two more. If I remember correctly. Oh man, I'm, I can't wait that long. I'm going to have to dig into Oh, and, and you, you need to. It is, first of all, in the black label oversized format, his art is insane. Mm. All the things you loved about Paper Girls and pull that into oh, superhero work. I showed it to my coworker and she was just in awe over what he's doing with, with Ivy. Is that the only way that you can get that? format because i have the i have the imposter but i had i bought the imposter digitally i didn't buy that physically was that oversized it is oversized the oh. imposter wasn't no no this is oh, oversized like this as, is oversized as, as, as historia and, is it's that size yeah and one dark night is oversized but the imposter was a regular size book oh man i need to get one dark night in physical then because that that story is yeah. awesome yeah that's a great series so far uh, all right, Bob, I'm sorry. Oh, no, you want so, 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 I'm really quickly, I'll finish up, and, and not because I didn't love it, but uh, uh, if I try to tell you what went on in Spider-Gwen, Gwenverse number two, we'll have a really long show, and we're trying to be a little shorter today. <laughs> Suffice it to say, Gwen's quest to put her Universe 65 back to normal, well, it has her encountering variant versions of herself, each reflecting different aspects of her personality, each channeling a different hero. So... Here we get Thor Gwen, Nightbird, Captain America, and Wolverine. It's crazy, but certainly a lot of fun is written by Tim Seeley, drawn by Jody Nishishima, colors by Federico Blee, and letters by Ariana Marr. And now I'm done. I'm done. I might have to give that Spider Gwen another chance. I might have been a little harsh on that the first time. It really threw me through a loop, though. There's a lot going on, and I'm not saying it's not a lot going on here too, but it's it's a fun chaos. All right, I can be I could be down for some some fun chaos. All right, good stuff. I noticed you bought you gentlemen read World's Finest. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, that's great stuff. You you captured it perfectly. It's Silver Age, Bronze Age. Dan Moore's artwork is phenomenal, and this is a book Mark Wade was born to write. Yeah. Steve, I noticed online yeah. you you posted a panel from here that I'm looking at right now. Which one was that? Is Batman I smiling? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That was that was right after the uh, the medical business. Yeah, going on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of. First of all, I think this book is great. This is doing kind of for me, and maybe even a little bit more than the. Um, who was it that was doing that Batman Superman book where you had to Jean like Louis read Yang. it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. that's and it. Even Reese. Yep. Yeah. Two different stories, like, top page, bottom of the page. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. The, this though is I'm really liking how many characters are involved in these stories and I haven't seen some of them interact before. Like there's this whole thing going on between Robin and Supergirl. Yeah. And it's it's immediate, like they're immediately displeased with one another. And they do kind of explain or at least allude to what it's about. But like, I have no idea why they don't like each other coming into the story. But it was so entertaining to be with them in the few pages that they, that they appear and just watch kind of the, the snit contest that they were having <laughs> with one another. 
knowing Wade, that's a story that'll get picked up like seven or eight issues from now. Yep. Yeah, you know, exactly. Whole story. I, I always have to laugh when there's a flying superhero and a non-flying superhero <laughs> and they have to pick them up and fly like them baby. to where they're going. Yes. And they've got nothing to do but just fold their arms and just huff about it. <laughs> Did you read? So, did you read this one's Nightwing? No, no, I didn't. Because it has the one. Flash in it, and, and Flash needs to carry Nightwing, and he's like, "With all the people from the future, have you never figured out a better way than to cradle or piggyback?" Oh, amazing! <laughs> because amazing. every Flash story is that is that same thing. He has to carry them, or you have to hang on to their back. I noticed about the Flash, and you know, I've seen I've seen this before, so it's not like it's never happened. But the Flash doesn't usually give people a warning before he or they do what they do. That they're always rescuing people. Mm-hmm. You could snap a person's neck into powder at the at the speed that you're going, no, no. and like that whole like you need to take a breath before we take off. There's no warning. There's no nothing going Steve, on. They we, just snatch people Steve, out of the air. You know that the speed force can mute momentum and therefore Listen. the Flash can grab people and move Science. them. Science. <laughs> Let me tell you something about the speed force. Speed force is whatever. I can't get into the Flash. Um, who's next? Aaron. I want to hear from Aaron. How about here? Listen, how about this? How is Mocha settling in? You've had her for a while now. Uh, Are you two inseparable? It's a year now. So, yeah, she's she's over here checking in on me right now. She's uh, staring at me. Uh, so she's been here since uh, March of last year. Uh, yeah. Wow. March 23rd of last year. So that's a. How big is she now? Quick yeah, just she's 61 say. pounds. Whoa. Wow. 61 Damn. pounds. And when yep. you got her, she was. Six pounds. Eight pounds. Eight pounds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yep, she's uh, she's finally coming along. She's had this is her longest healthy streak, so I'm happy about that. Oh, good so, for you. You know, that's awesome. Like all of her, all of her ailments seem to have resolved themselves. So we're we're just gonna run with that. Now I gotta knock on wood because I don't want to jinx myself and she something snaps <laughs> or something later. Who knows? But, you know, some things start coming out of both ends. Who knows? Whatever. Oh, whoa! Speaking of coming out of both ends, let's talk about. Hey, it. Yeah, I love ready? It. <laughs> yes. Are we ready? Yeah. How's it down? All right. So I'm talking about uh, from Dark Horse, Last Flight Out, number five and six. <clears throat> Excuse me. So uh, this is by Mark Guggenheim, Eduardo Figu- oh, far, sorry, Ferragato, and Natalia. <laughs> uh, I had to think about that. I was going to like Figaro. <laughs> so um and i don't know if i if you guys remember me talking about this the first couple of issues but this is one of those the world is gonna you know explode the earth is inhabitable we had to figure out a solution and the solution in this case was to build some arcs uh and get everyone the hell out of there uh, obviously in these situations you want to gather up the smartest people you know and in this case it was dr ben kaywood 
who has shown himself to have the answers to all of their problems in his uh, designs to build these arcs. Uh, and these arcs would leave in three stages. Uh, problem with uh, being one of the smartest men on the planet, having the uh, task of saving everyone with your little arcs, is that you sort of uh, lighten up on your soft skills. Things like, you know, caring for your daughter and all that oh. stuff. So, you know, this is kind of where the chickens come home to roost. So we find ourselves now after uh, he finally realizes some of the mistakes that he made and that his daughter is not where she needs to be in order to get off the planet. She He embarks on that mission to go save her. We talked about that in the past. Well, that mission took it, ran its course. They find her and her boyfriend. But just when everyone thought they were safe, things don't quite go as as, as planned. Um, they find themselves, and in, in even after being rescued, if you can believe it, after being rescued, in deeper shit than they were when they started. Um, and this is one of those uh, points where you think the story is over, you f- it feels like it's starting a new chapter, but then it's really sort of winding down. This is a book that I thought was going to get, some start small, get big and then just get bigger and like have this bombastic sort of ending, uh, you know, sort of space science fiction ending. And it actually didn't do that. It actually started small. It threw in that, that, you know, that action in the middle that you were looking for, but then it sort of shifted gears and the, the last sort of chapter of it was more heartfelt um, and sort of resolving some things in a way that was very touching and sad and, um, you know, but uplifting at the same time. Um, you, you know, solutions are arrived at, but sometimes those solutions require sacrifice. And the sacrifice here is, you know, unfortunately one that, you know, it, 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 it's going to be felt. Um, so I, I, I didn't know what to expect with this book. I enjoyed it. Um, I didn't know how it was going to end, uh, in the sense that I didn't find it predictable, but, um, I would say, check it out. Six issues, dark horse, uh, all good there. The other thing I read, Miles Morales, Spider-Man, number 34 to 37. I was catching up on Spider-Man. Um, even though I hate the outfit, um, we find ourselves <laughs> again. I really do hate it. I hate it more every time I see it. Um, as a Saladin and I met and Christopher Allen, uh, you may recall from previous issues way down the line that at one point Miles was kidnapped by someone called the Assessor. They tortured the bejesus out of him, um, basically just trying to do exactly what the name says, assess him. Um, and it was pretty graphic and pretty grim. And it was just, you know, they broke him down to like his his like his lowest point just sort of see what happens. Well, we find ourselves revisiting, you know, that, 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 you know, that story again. Uh, But this time things go a little bit differently Um, from the previous issue issues just prior to this sort of argument. We miles finds himself with an ally, an ally in a, I don't know if you want to say brother of sorts, but you know, he's got a partner now. Um, and it's a partnership that I'm really, really beginning to enjoy. Um, didn't know where it was going, but I'm really beginning to enjoy it. And I have a feeling it's setting us, setting us up for something that's going to really be gut-wrenching in the future. But right now, I'm enjoying it. Um, so this time, facing the assessor who seemed almost unbeatable last time, he, he's got help this time. So it seems a little bit easier. Um, and I love the way it sort of played itself out. But it was sort of just the beginning of what's really happening. Because at the end of this battle, Miles finds out that there is something or someone who was thought long gone, who may not be. But what's going to be required to find them is to tiptoe through the multiverse until they can track them down. And so that begins this little uh, dance through the multiverse, uh, different 
dimensions, different spider places and different spider characters. And I don't want to spoil, so I'm not going to say all the paper, all the things that pop up. Um, but this is where I think this story sort of ran awry a little bit because it didn't really seem to have a direction um, right up until you got to the end where you where they land in a Queens that looks very much like the one they left. I'm sorry, a Harlem rather that looks very much like the one they left with a little bit of a difference um, that I think is going to be the focus of the next arc of the story. Um, and this is again, going to go full circle, um, you know, to, to, to the story that just preceded this, that brought miles as sort of brother character, um, but taking a much, much deeper and darker path. So um, ups and downs with Miles Morales, Spider-Man, love the relationship, hate the costume, love that he's a little bit more mature and stronger and more, more sort of defined in who he is and his characterization is a little bit more, um, what's the word I'm looking for, a little bit more confident, whereas as you recall from the early days of Miles Morales, he was just very, un- you know, just unable to sort of wrap his mind around being Spider-Man. He was suffering from uh, imposter syndrome for all intents and purposes. Um, but this, this Miles Morales Spider-Man is much more confident and much more able to sort of face the realities of who he is and his responsibility. So I'm excited to see where this, this next story arc is going, because that seems like it has a little bit more of a purpose, whereas his last three issues or two issues or so did not, but um, still a solid book. So I'm going to hang in there. And that is my lightning round. So it sounds like they are setting up something. Mm-hmm. The, the, can it, you it, see sort of where they're headed with Miles, or is it just still I, an amorphous I do. thing ahead? I will okay. say that it looks like they're building out. So I think what many of the spider characters suffer from is that they always have to exist in the in the shadow of Peter Parker. Sure. Um, they always have to. Their, their, their environment, their world seems to always be made of the scraps of Peter Parker's world, um, and, which is, you know – Unfortunate, and that is something that Miles has suffered with to some degree. You know, who's Spider-Man? And this is, I think, where they se- they separated themselves in the storyline where he was identified as Harlem Spider-Man, um, their Spider-Man, as opposed to Peter Parker being the Spider-Man that would be everywhere in New York, but Harlem, or you know, or but Brooklyn. Um, so, I-, I think what they have done over the last. I don't know, John, what do you say, arc and a half or a couple of arcs is really established him as an individual separate from, like he's really not had to interact with with Peter very much at all. I think there was a short interaction where he actually had to take the lead. Um, Mm -hmm. But they were establishing him and his characters and his characterization all on its own. And I think this new story where they're going, um, because it is sort of a a, a Elseworlds type scenario, um, of a storyline that just wrapped up not too long ago. Um, I think they're going to continue to build out his rogues gallery, build out his, his, yeah, just build out his world, his environment, the things, his st- the stakes behind him, you know, what makes him matter, what makes him count. So um, that's my, what, what do you think, John? Yeah, I think, well, you got Peter off on this, this beyond like little thing that they did over there that was just brutal to uh, Ben Riley. Uh, I think that that they, I think they did a miles of favor by not including him in that story. And yes, you're absolutely right. This suit is atrocious and and it it should not exist because his costume was phenomenal. It's one of those classically Mm -hmm. great costumes. 
I do enjoy that they're building out his his characters. His, I mean, they they did a great job with his family and his friends and the loves of his life. And now you're adding villains and yes, his brother, which I know is going to end badly. It's, it's uh, not going to go well. I can tell. I, know. <laughs> I, I can feel the tears coming. Mm-hmm. I'm a couple issues behind, but I, I do enjoy that. They're kind of letting miles be miles and not pulling him in into everything that is Spider-Man. So speaking of that whole beyond storyline, there was a line. Uh, I can't remember exactly, but I'll paraphrase it when, when miles had to, because this is kind of almost related to this. Well, they are mentioned he's, he doesn't have yeah. to fight them or anything, but they are mentioned. Um, but there is a line that miles has when he has to decide whether or not to stay and, and pass on the information that he's uncovered about the beyond corporation or go do his things. He's like, mm-hmm. he goes, well, Peter's a grown up. He can handle that yeah. on his own. <laughs> He's like, I yeah. got to do this myself. It's like, okay, well, I think that was saying something about yeah. the character. I think that was literally Marvel saying something about the character. Like, listen, this guy's not a Peter Parker sidekick. No, he is his. He is Spider Man. He is Spider Man Junior. He's Spider Man. Yeah, he's Spider Man. Exactly. So no, he's not going to drop everything. He's not. He doesn't report to Peter. He he's not obligated to Peter. He you know he. It's just the way it is. So well, I, I, I think that was I one like of the it. beautiful things that when they set up this story, Peter's like, "No, you're Spider Man. I'm Spider Man. You're Spider Man. We're not like you know. It's not like I have a ownership of the name. I'm going to yeah. share it with you. And you know, that's that's. Yeah. I think that's been really good. So yeah, I I, I got to be honest. I still find Miles Morales Spider Man the more approachable. Um, obviously from a new reader, because I think like you guys have said before, when you pick up Spider-Man, you feel like you always have to read, you know, decades of Spider-Man. Yeah. And you don't have to with Miles, but you still get all the fun. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there you have it. I'm really glad to hear that they haven't nerfed his character in any way throughout the years and that he is still growing as a character because Sometimes they they have something that's really hot for a while, and then it kind of has its time, and then they get shelved or forgotten about. Like, I was having a conversation with somebody last week about characters that just kind of up and disappeared, uh, particularly from the the Bat family, like Harper Rowe mm-hmm. and uh, Duke. Duke. <laughs> like, like those, those characters... They exist in like the Wayne family adventures webtoon and stuff like that, which is absolutely amazing. And you should read it. But in terms of like mainline books, those characters have vanished and they had so much potential and it's just such a shame. And I just, I would have been devastated if that had happened to miles. Harper Rose been in um, Joker. Oh really? Yeah. She's been in the backup with uh, the punchline character. That's like one of the very few bat books that I'm not currently it, reading. It comes to an end with number 15. Uh, and okay. you can probably read the whole thing. I'm several issues behind, but she she did show up and that was, and her brother. And that was really nice to see because I, lo- I loved her character. And uh, yeah. yeah, I thought so much was going to happen with her. Yeah, I think so. I, just, I think they probably had plans, but Snyder left. So Yeah, yeah it feels like. Uh, yeah, it feels like because what she was wasn't she introduced in the weekly? Was she yes. in the weekly? She was yeah. introduced. Eternal. Was it Eternal? Yeah, Eternal. Eternal. Was it? Yeah. 
Um, and I thought, wow, was that all the way back in Batman yeah. Eternal? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whoa! And then she I took then old. she took on the superhero name in uh in Batman with Capullo and Snyder, and then she kind of just disappeared. Yeah. And same with I never oh. understood what Duke was was supposed to do. He I thought he evolved and became sort of like a powered um He's character. The signal. Yeah. <laughs> Which he moves like, into the uh, he wow. moves into the mansion in um Wayne Family Adventures and he is like he is very he's a, a big a big part of that book. I mean they all are. It's it's a big bat family book, mm-hmm. but like if you want to read something that's highly enjoyable and pure and and does not have any of the like darkness and drudgery of a more traditional bat book that is your ticket to a good time they should move his brothers arnold and willis into this into the mansion and see what (laughs) oh i see what you did there you like that yeah i did like that actually (laughs) it's got funny duke's a main character in the white knight series too he's just they just make him look like a liar. Mm, no, not not to the. I mean, <laughs> I would love to read an Arnold. And but does Willis it? And Duke does adventure. it feel like he's? <laughs> but does it feel like he's just there because they just want the character to hang around? Does he have purpose? Because I think that's sometimes. No, he has purpose. Right. He's kind of the the grounding force uh, after Batman leaves. Between like he kind of humanizes Harley at least in the first series, and then he's kind of he's kind of that solid character throughout. Hmm. Yeah, I've decided to take the dive, John. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be dipping my uh toe into the what would you call that? The the Gordon verse. The the Murphy verse. Murphy verse, yeah. that's it. Um yeah, I I I, I wanna check those out. I'm gonna I think there's a new one. There's like a number two or something coming out. Yeah, this uh, this week. This week. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna use that opportunity to pick that up and then find out what I'm missing and then go from there. Yeah. You're, it's not, I mean, there's not, it's not a huge, you're not going to be hard to get caught up. No, no, no. And I think, I think I already own uh, a majority of it. So it won't be that expensive either. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't know what happened. Like it was, it's definitely a combination of things and it definitely like becoming good friends with, with Chris and, and listening to Gotham outsiders. So can help. But like, I've been on such a Batman kick ever since last year and it has not stopped for me there's i only some, talk about a fraction of what i've read on the show some great batman stuff coming out right now and i know that there we, really I is know that there there's a glut of it but you have some really top-notch talent doing some great batman stuff right now this is yeah. probably the first time since new 52 that i've not consistently been in the Batverse. Mm. well when zadarsky and jimenez take that book over again uh, that book's gonna be a phenomenal this current yeah the um the night is very good Batman the night, the night uh, that Zdarsky's doing right now is excellent yeah one dark night great the imposter oh, was phenomenal the imposter is so mm-hmm. good good stuff all right um uh, John all righty um. Let's start with Venom number seven, as longtime listeners know. <laughs> My son has a Venom obsession, so every month we read Venom together, and now it's Ram V with Brian Hitch and Andrew Curry on inks, Alex Sinclair on colors, and Clayton Cowles on letters. 
So Eddie Brock is dead, or at least his body <gasps> is. His consciousness is moving from symbiote through to symbiote throughout time and space. <laughs> and he's at the end of the timeline with Meridius, who has some Kang-like vibes, but is maybe Venom of the future or maybe Venom of the past. We don't know yet. But number seven deals with Dylan, who is Eddie's son, and he is now bonded with Venom. And Dylan has strong Spider-Man vibes and wants to be a hero, where Venom just wants to eat bad guys. Uh, They're on the run from the Life Foundation, which is a private enterprise uh, empowered by the government to catch the symbiotes, which are now publicly known. And while on the run, Venom runs into Bedlam, which is a future king in black who is a Corbinite, which is a what Beta Ray Bill's species is, coated in a red symbiote, much like Carnage. <sighs> and they find themselves in a small town in Northern California in the midst of a motorcycle gang war. <laughs> Let's go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it is bonkers, but it is fun. We we laugh and enjoy the heck out of this book every month. I think my son, I, I mean, like just seeing the entry into comics through this with him is just so much fun. And he's always going back. He, I remember back when I was his age and reading books until they fell apart. He's doing that here. And the collector in me is pained to see these things start to come unhinged. But I love that he is so in love with this character. He talks about it with all of his friends, and and he always is bringing it up. And I'm always trying to find more stuff for him to read. But this is kind of our book right now. And I, I like Ram V. I've always been a sucker for Brian Hitch art. I don't know how he can turn this out every month because Ultimates used to take a year and a half to get one issue done. But he's that he's figured out a system, and this book is just bonkers fun and if you like venom and you enjoy the movies i think you would probably enjoy this comic then i read captain america number zero um (laughs) tochi onabuchi jackson lansing and colin kelly are the writers matia de luis is on art and joe caramunga is on letters so the new era of the captain's America begins here. Uh, Arnim Zola is once again trying to devolve humans. He's built a giant rocket, as most, you know, anybody can do these days, apparently. Um, We all know Steve has uh, an aversion to rockets, which he lets us know a few times. few too many times. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It never ends well with him and rockets, apparently. Um you're going to get two new Captain America series. You're going to get Captain America symbol of truth. That's going to be the Sam book. Uh, and then you're going to get Captain America Sentinel of Liberty, which is going to be the Steve book. I don't want to judge those books off of this. This book has just some like insert Captain America dialogue, pro America dialogue, anti Nazi dialogue. It just, it feels like it was a Captain America by numbers book. It's really pretty. And I, and I, and I, I 
gonna give both books a a go. I think I think they have potential. I just don't think that this zero issue set it up like it, it could have. Um, I would much rather just see the the issue number one stand on their own and go from there. And then I I I decided to finally catch up on Justice League number seventy three and seventy four. Um, Brian Michael Bendis, Simon Kudransky, Emanuela Lupacino on pencils, Wade Von Grabarger on and Scott Hanna on inks, Hi-Fi on colors. Hey, DC, it's nothing like trying to cram in a six-issue story into three so you can wrap up the <laughs> Bendis era so you can kill the Justice League on this week's number 75. You got Xanadoth. The original Lord of Chaos has returned after a million year imprisonment. She's possessed Black Adam. She's taking on the Justice League and the Justice League Dark. It's a very dangerous threat. Naomi is the key to the salvation because apparently Naomi's abilities amplify magic where magic only hurts Superman. This book wraps up super quickly. There are hanging plot lines that are never finished. In one issue, you have the classic Diana Wonder Woman there. The next, like halfway through the book, Hippolyta Wonder Woman is there. It is just Mm. a mess of trying to wrap up the Bendis run. And the sad thing is, this is actually a pretty cool story that could have been a great combination of Justice League and Justice League Dark if you would have just let Bendis do it, have one consistent artist... And not be in such a push to get to this number 75 anniversary issue where you have to kill them all. Um, I, I, I will say the Brian Michael Bendis Justice League has been a disappointment. I was really, really excited when it started. I was hopeful for good things. I loved Bendis on Avengers. I love Bendis on X-Men. I like these big team books. I think that that caters to his his style and his, his abilities. But I, I, I kind of like how I was disappointed years ago when Mark Wade and Brian Hitch took over justice league after Grant Morrison, kind of disappointed with Brian Michael Bendis's run here. And I guess bring on Williamson and let's see how they die. And I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you a question, a venom question. Okay. You read these with your son, right? Yeah. Okay. It's a Venom book. I assume that a Venom book does the thing where characters curse, but it's all like, you know, creatively uh, (laughs) bleeped out. Mm -hmm. What do you do when you're reading that book together and you come across those moments? Well, Steve, I can bring in my two-year-old whose favorite word right now is God damn it. Um, (laughs) Because daddy says it one too many times in the car. Um, we usually, we usually, like, like I'll go, oh, poop instead of, you know, or, or something like that. I'll come up with a substitute, um, uh, or, or, you know, kind of just maybe just let it fly. He's, he's, he's almost nine. He can learn. He knows when not to say things. Oh, in front he knows. Of he knows that. Oh, I know. He knows. I thought he was a bit younger than that. No, he's nine. Then my one daughter's six and then I got a two year old. So he's the oldest of the three. 
Damn. Yeah. All right. So. All right. So okay, it's not as it's not as awkward as I imagined. No. No, it's not that bad. <laughs> like, so, what is that word? Well. Yeah. Oh fudge. Oh fudge. <laughs> um, and I would like to say, I'm glad that your your son's like burning desire to follow this character has resulted <laughs> in you genuinely enjoying the ride. It's fun. Because I'll tell you, the way you talk about it, you make me want to read it. It's, you you would enjoy it. It's just fun. It sounds so stupid, but like stupid to the point of it being amazing. It's like classic superhero. It doesn't make any sense, but let's go. It's got it's got motorcycle gangs now. It doesn't make any sense. Like, hey, I want to do a Sons of Anarchy story. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just just have it on my desk by noon on uh, yeah. Friday. It's all right. <laughs> so let's talk about some Amazing. Justice League. Yeah, let's talk, Aaron. <laughs> because when you say inconsistent art, I, I don't think you really explain. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, what what he means to say is the art changes from page to page. Oh, yeah, yeah. it's not like half an issue. No, yeah. it's from page to page. The style changes from page to page. And yes, there was one scene when Diana is sitting at the table and she's got no dialogue, but then the entire rest of the book is Hippolyta. Yeah. There was no explanation as to why that. But then the last page, the splash page, is Diana. and it it makes no it was like they literally just turned around and took a big dump around the justice league and said okay we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up there was one scene with xanadu and xanadal where she's like are you my mother no okay anyway so let's move on to the next thing i was like what 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 just happened she's like i don't i'm not gonna tell you that story and i was like oh you ran out of time to tell that story here we go no i'm not gonna no i'm not gonna explain myself to you Uh, wait what like what to us maybe would be nice it it was it was bad just the Mm -hmm. art would go there was some i'll be honest some of the pages the art i thought was good yeah, uh, there are like the pages with with um, with Naomi when she's like in that weird world. I thought those were fine. Other pages, it was like they were, just came like right out of a Hanna Barbera cartoon or something like that. Mm-hmm. It was it was weird. It was very weird. And then you have the Justice League Dark there, and it's not making sense. And there's so many things. And then in the end, all of this was supposedly have happened in like a week, not even a week, like three days. Yeah. Right. Like this whole thing it's supposedly happened in three days, and you're like, wait, what? And the covers and they, do not wait. link to anything. And did like you? The cover, so, yeah. so did you notice how we always know, like uh, Zatanna is going to do her backwards magic? Mm-hmm. So then there was a scene where Xanadu was doing magic as well, and she also says a spell backwards. I'm like, I so saw this that. is oh. this is everyone's thing now. No, I'm like, so I now think everyone the, just does magic backwards. Either the art got it wrong, or whoever did the the pencil or the letters got it wrong. Because this book is so poorly put together, and there was no editorial t- control. Nope. They just needed nope. to get this out because they wanted to do this big dark crisis and start it this week. It yeah, just didn't uh, make sense yeah, to me. It's just bad. 
It was it was poorly executed. The entire Bendis run is poorly executed, and which this is this ups- the epitome of it. Which upsets me because then I go back to Young Justice. Oh yeah, which was great. I don't. Can you agree that this this story could have had some potential? This would have been a great Justice League dark story. It, it did have potential. It would have been a great extension of the storylines they had already kept going, basically because it essentially it, their big bads yeah. always turned out to be some first form of evil magic. Right. And that, this is that's the just the original. It. Yes. It just first it's the upside down man and then it's this mm-hmm. and it's that. And it all links back to the chaos and order. Chaos and order. Mm-hmm. So they all have that through line. So they could have just run with that. Personally, they could have pushed the regular Justice League to the background and just brought the you know Ram V's Justice League Dark to the foreground. I would have been fine with that. Yeah, I would have been great. We should have just called the book Justice League and did just whichever configuration of the league showed up was the one that was in that that arc. Yeah. So, uh, and if you needed I, to bring Naomi and somebody else into this, good. I mean, oh. this was supposed to like try and make the Naomi character more central. I think it, it did help. more harm than good. It really did. Because the whole thing, is the whole, her whole stick has become, I'm new here. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she I'm, must I'm say that. I'm the new Superman. I'm Superman level, yeah. but I don't know anything. She said uh, everything that they say is like, wait, magic is real? Wait, magic hurts Superman? Everything, she's yeah. only there for shock to effect. Yeah. Like, as someone who's new and inexperienced. But then after all of that, when, like, she's new and inexperienced, Batman's like, I feel like you handled yourself well during these last four days. You've earned yeah. your spot on this team. What about that whole Teen Titans over there who have died and come back to life and sacrificed themselves <laughs> for <laughs> for the, the universe? Yeah. Do they not deserve a spot on that team? Yeah, because according to her, she's new. She's only had her powers for like a month. Yeah, that, that's another thing. This doesn't make sense in the Naomi canon of nope. When, yeah, and then oh, they make her the POV character and do some of that as narrative, then rather than having her say it out loud, because it just makes her diminished as a character here. Mm-hmm. And, and Ben is one won't... of her writers, his creator. Mm-hmm. He he should have better care for that that character. And there were also too many characters in this storyline because I feel like they were struggling to just put word balloons that, you know, reminded you that these characters were there, but they didn't do anything. Like there was no reason for Black Canary to be there. There was no reason for Green Arrow to Green be Arrow, there no. or, or you know, to be honest with you, after a certain period of time, Black Adam. Um, but, you know, there were – God, who, who, Aquaman didn't need to be there. No. I mean – Batman just, didn't need to be there. Not really, No. You needed the Justice League Dark. That is it. That was it. So yeah, I don't. I don't know. It just. It. I, if I were Bendis, I. This is honestly got a true statement. I, if I were Bendis, I would be embarrassed by this. Yes. I would not want this to be associated with my name. I would not this be my, part of my legacy. Correct. After what he did at Marvel, what he's done independently, and then Young Justice, Naomi, some of those really quality Great things character. he did when he yeah. came here. This I would not want this on my resume. I would not. It's just that bad. Mm-hmm. Damn. Speaking of not so hot, Captain America number zero. <laughs> uh, it was, what did you say? It was boilerplate. Boilerplate. Like, it's just yeah. sort of a generic Captain America book. And mm-hmm. there, there are great messages to be had. 
But it is, as you say, John, it's so obvious. It is the Nazi thing. It is mm-hmm. one man against. And it doesn't hit in in the way that Ta-Nehisi Coates did. Right. Or to go back to Wade or Engelhardt or anybody else. You can do those. Yeah, Cap has to stand for certain things. He's from the other time and blah, 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 blah. And here, it's a beautiful-looking book where, where uh, Matthias de Eulis is definitely channeling Alex Ross. Oh, yeah. And that's that's wonderful. So my first flip-through is like, wow, this is going to be great. And then I start reading it. It's like, well, no, it's not quite. Just yeah. not there. There's not enough edge to it. There's not enough reflection among the characters. It is not as bad as when Kirby came back, but it's not far okay. from it. It reminded me a little bit of like a 1990s action movie. Like one point in time, I think that they like they they like gripped in a handshake and flexed their biceps as yeah. they. And it's like as, <laughs> as they frame the Statue of Liberty yes. between their two hands. Yes, it's yes. Like Tango and Cash or something. Yeah, or exactly. It's like holy crap. We need. We're we're better than this. We've moved beyond this. As, I mean, Cap can always have that moment. And you can build to that moment where you know he's going to get up, like like in Endgame. We want that. We at, love that. Yes, right. we love that moment. This was just so cliche, cliche, cliche. It would. I think the only thing that might have made it worse is if they did Baron Zemo instead of Zola. Yeah, or the skull. Throw the red. Yeah, skull or in. the red yeah. skull. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's going to make for a lovely series of posters. Uh, and and I, I hate to, as you say, judge the books that are coming because these are people who are writing some of the other books. Oh yeah, these are the three writers. Yeah. So uh, that that I worry, but I I'm gonna judge them on their merits. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a, it was a rough go for Cap for a while, and when with with Mister Coates, we had a really special run mm-hmm. that really d- dove deep into this character and what it's supposed to mean. And I hate to go back to generic. See, fingers I, fingers I, crossed. That's all I'm going to say. See, I enjoyed the Rick Remender. I know you didn't as much, but I enjoyed that run. And then what Coates did, I just and I wasn't a big fan of what Spencer did with the, no. the Hydra Cap. Um, but I did like what Spencer did with Sam as Cap in that same time period. Mm-hmm. Um, so let, I, let's let's wait and see what they bring in Arby Silva on Captain America. I'm there just for that, at yeah. least for the first first issue. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. All right. That's been your 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 superhero moment. Actually, no, we're gonna keep talking about superhero. I got a superhero for you. Um yeah, let me get some lightning up in here. Oh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> Sorry, John. Okay, it's okay, Steve. I forgive you. My mistake. Um, <laughs> so, as I mentioned, uh, there will be more after I talk about I Am Batman. But uh, stay tuned. So, I Am Batman numbers one through eight. I went back. I started from the beginning because I wanted to see what was up. Written by John Ridley. Art by Ken Lashley and Christian Deuce. Colors by Rex Locus and letters by ALWs. That's a new one on me. Uh, Troy Petiri. So this definitely has a now that we're done with all of that fear state business vibe to it about part of the way through. Uh, I'd say probably around issue number four. 
Four or five, John. Uh, five, I think. Yeah, let's yeah, say five. five. Yeah, just to be safe. Uh, so this is Jace's Batman. Jace decides that his Batman is ineffectual in Gotham. Criminals are not taking him seriously. The GCPD uh, does not respect him. He needs to go somewhere where he can make a difference. Coincidentally, Jace's family are moving themselves to New York City, a place that doesn't have a Batman. I like the story. Mm -hmm. It is crazy dark, a lot darker than one might think. Uh, More on that in a bit. Shortly after Batman shows up in the Big Apple, a serial killer begins targeting high-profile victims, leading people to believe that the Batman is to blame. The mindset behind this is that the lunatics uh, follow in the Batman's wake. Mm -hmm. So, like, all all the bad business that is associated with Batman, it's attached to the name, and it'll follow him no matter where he goes, regardless of who wears the cowl. Uh, Batman brings the bad people. Uh, therefore, he should be the one to have to deal with it. Uh, while using him as a scapegoat, the NYPD form a Bat Squad. I don't know if that's their official name. Uh, Jace's Batman reporting directly to the NYPD, which is a little weird. Uh, this causes a major stir within the organization, and Jace has a lot of uh, trouble adjusting to his new lifestyle. He doesn't exactly like answering to people or checking with people before he decides to take you know matters into his own hands. This story has become a story about a Batman who's trying to make his mark, but who's also being looked upon as a beacon of the black community. That's another thing. Jace takes the mouth covering off at one point in the story. Uh, I remember, Aaron, you were uh, bringing that into question and whether or not that was a good idea or if they were trying to literally mask his skin color and identity in the book um that after reading this i believe was done on purpose uh i won't say who but there is a very gratifying moment with a powerful ally that leads to him taking the mask off and showing who he is as batman uh and it's a pretty powerful moment for the character so it's pretty cool uh Feeling like he has just like he has to be all things to all people. Batman soon discovers that he's not as skilled as he thought. He gets his ass kicked at one point in this story and it just shakes him to his core. He has to rethink his entire approach to superherodom while convincing the people of New York that he's there to help them. Uh, It's a really difficult balancing act. And standing in his way of all of this is this racist, homophobic, misogynistic commissioner who's later in the story, a little bit of a spoiler for like issue, I don't know, five or six, uh, his texts uh, and emails and stuff are leaked to the public, a very timely uh, story beat, uh, basically exposing the inherent racism within the organization, especially from him. And this is especially bad because he was backed by certain people who are supposed to be respected within the community. And now it's thrown their chances for reelection and upheaval and all of that stuff. So you've got all these like sociopolitical machinations going on. Um, This has a lot of blowback with Batman being labeled as an enemy of the badge after the cops assume 
that Batman thinks that basically the commissioner got what he deserved. So that does not go well. Um, The art has got like an EC comics, like horror vibe to it. It's got thick black line work, filthy New York streets, positively gruesome displays of carnage and dissection on behalf of the killer. I don't know that it's my bag, but it certainly fits the story that Ridley is trying to share. Uh, I felt like I had to take a shower after reading this thing. So that is, I believe, it, it's it's good and bad. bad. Bad's not the right word. Um, aesthetically pleasing for me, probably not. But in the person in me that loves, like, I'm going to say old school horror or at least, like, darker 70s horror with like real good practical effects, not this newfangled digital business that they got going on. Um, it evokes a lot of that. And I like that gritty lived in feel that the art has. It's very dark. It's maybe, it's maybe going to turn some people off, but like we were saying earlier, there's a glut of Batman books out in the wild so if you don't like something and you bounce off of it, just bounce off it and go read a different one. No big deal. Um, I'm enjoying the character. I'm enjoying the story. I'm enjoying the arc and them trying to find their way uh, into being the the Batman. Um, I was actually taken aback by the serial killer angle of the story. Uh, Ridley is using a lot of the book's real estate to address, uh, like I was saying, like sociopolitical issues and tell a little bat in a big pond story. Uh, it's an intense villain to put Jace up against for his first major case in the city that never sleeps. And I'm curious as to how it's going to end. Uh, John, if you would care to share your thoughts and feelings. I've, I think that by moving him to New York was the smartest decision because he was drowning in the fear state and the whole... Yes. Just that starting a book in a crossover is never a good idea. And I know that this character was established a little bit like with the future state and all that. Once he's moved to New York, I love the the putting him with the the bat task force, the the political machinations of we're going to try and control the narrative rather than have him be the vigilante. I'm a couple issues behind you, but yes, the the serial killer is pretty gruesome uh oh you haven't seen anything oh i i can only imagine (laughs) i flipped through it uh i that moment you're talking about where he took the 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 cover off of his face that was yeah and he's in a more classic batman suit now he used to be in that like armor and i like that he's more in that classic suit and the artwork has really reminded me of kind of the 90s norm brayfogle which you might not be familiar with but that that hard dark line and that heavy like like sharp cape that that does give it that horror vibe you're talking about. But no, this is a just like we were talking with about Miles Morales. This has the potential to be somebody's entry level Batman, and yeah. and if they let Ridley do this for a long time, I think this has a lot of potential. Um, just let him be Batman. Don't don't worry about if he conflicts with Bruce. This is just this can be some people's Batman. Well, that's the thing is like Bruce isn't even really a part of this story because the whole the whole crux of it is that Batman is gone and he has 
stepped up and now moving to the other city, everybody's kind mm-hmm. of like, what is this? Like New York has a Batman now. Yeah. Like that's, that's new. That's weird. Um, but they try to uh, police him. Like they, they, they mm-hmm. literally hire him. They, they put him on a squad and he, yeah. he can do what he does, but he is now, you know, sanctioned by the NYPD mm-hmm. and has to report to them and has people to answer to, even though he's, supposedly in charge of the squad, but let's be real about things. Um, And it just, it's, it was an interesting situation to see him move from being in Gotham to that. Like I was very surprised by him agreeing to the terms, but again, this is a story about someone trying to figure out how they are going to behave as a Batman and you are probably going to make mistakes. You're probably going to align yourself with people that aren't good for the city. Right. But you're also probably going to find, you know, some diamonds in the rough that you can trust and can, you know, befriend. And I mean, like, you know, I know you're an issue or two behind, but like there are relationships that you would suspect would begin to blossom. Like that's definitely the direction that we're heading in. Mm. And there was a very key moment that was quite subtle, but it, it it really rang out. And I was like, that was really cool. And the same goes for that uh, mask removal moment. Yeah. Uh, I won't say who the character is. because I think it's a pretty big moment. Yeah. But the person that advises or inspires for him to remove it, they just, they say, they say something so simple, but, has a lot of weight to it. Mm-hmm. And in the very next, you know, in the very next issue, it's removed and he's, you know, showing who he is. He's people are realizing this is not the Batman that we know, but this is still a Batman. Yeah. yeah. You know, he keeps saying, I'm not the Batman. I'm, I'm Batman. Yeah. So you don't remember back in the sixties when uh Batman and Robin were duly deputized of the Gotham city police department. And they could even testify in court if necessary in costume. Yeah. <laughs> Take the oath and everything. Yeah, they did. Go into the courtroom. Did you see the, the recut trailer that has Adam West inserted into the yes. and Batman is hysterical. <laughs> yes. It's real good. It's real good. Mm. I miss Adam West. All right. Um, okay. Does anybody anybody else have any Batman related questions? Nope. Aaron, anything for me? Nope. Still not in the Bat Universe, so I can't. I got no right. dog in this fight. All right. Um, so everybody, hang tight. Stay tuned. I'm going to play a little bit of music, but when we come back, uh, I am going to be joined by Chris Carey to talk about the Heartstopper comic book series and. Netflix show, kind of a super extended lightning round, if you will, the longest there's ever been in 544 episodes. Uh, It's a really good time. It's a great talk. It goes to some really nice places. And I really hope that you enjoy it. Uh, When when Chris and I are done, we will come back and we will do the news.
everybody, we are back. I have, we have, I should say, a very special guest. Chris Siri, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I am wonderful. I'm so glad that you could join me on this Monday afternoon. Yes, I would join you any time of day to talk about this. Duh. (laughs) So for all of you listening, if you're wondering what the hell's going on in the middle of this episode, (laughs) uh, I wanted to bring Heartstopper to the show, but I didn't want to just monologue about it and not have anyone to bounce my thoughts and feelings off of because I have many about this series and about the new Netflix show that just dropped this past Mm -hmm. week. And Chris was kind enough to uh, pop on in the middle of the day and speak with me about it. We wish that Bronwyn could be here as well, but she is, of course, at work and then busy afterward. So this is it. Yes. (sighs) Heartstopper. As uh, the the show's self-proclaimed queer respondent, I answered the call. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, by the way, for those of you who don't know uh, Chris, you should, because Chris is one half of the Thirsty on Tune podcast our other show on the talking comics feed alongside bronwyn uh and so you and bronwyn have kind of been my uh my pushers yes for the webtoon and kind of getting getting me out of my comfort zone of like Mm -hmm. the dc marvel and and mainstream indie scene to you know dip my toes into these webtoon Mm -hmm. books and i've found so many amazing stories through that, but I didn't even know that Heartstopper was going to be a television show on Netflix until maybe two weeks ago. Oh my god, I've been just living in the the waiting period. So lucky you. <laughs> like, yeah, waiting. I didn't know anything about it, but like, I knew I knew that I would have to watch it because okay. I knew Bronwyn would want to see it, and I genuinely wanted to see it as well. But not having read the story, yeah. I didn't I didn't really know what to expect. And, you know, part of me is, oh, you know, maybe I should go in fresh and not have any preconceived notions, blah, blah, blah. I am so, so glad that I had the opportunity to go and read this. Mm-hmm. We had the three volumes in, in physical form. I picked those up. Uh, landed my ass in the ER and in urgent care. So I had lots of time to sit down and read. That's the worst way and to do that though. I don't recommend. <laughs> I get, you know, I get a lot of my reading done at the hospital, oh. which is real sad. But um, lately, the last the last couple of months have been garbage. Uh, yes. Anyway, I, um, I was like, I'm going to bring these three volumes. They'll mm-hmm. keep me company. And I'll, you know, I'll be able to pass the time. Mm-hmm. I burned through Heartstopper volumes one through three and I think maybe under an hour. Yes. Just flew right through them. Um, For people that don't know, this is uh, created by Alice Osman. Yes. Ace Queen. I love her. Nice. (laughs) And so there's the Heartstopper series, which I believe is going to be ending with volume five. I believe so. So So we're getting close on the Webtoon app. Uh, right. The the fourth volume I don't think is out yet, but um, the app, we're getting close to the end. So volume four is out in physical <gasps> form, but it's impossible to find. Uh, it's I've in, been looking it's in for the UK it. right now, probably, because they always come out there first and then they move oh. over here. 
So I had an opportunity to buy it. It was at Chapters. And stupidly, Ugh. I didn't because I, I had it in my hand and I walked to the front of the store and I saw the line and I just said, fuck that. Oh and I'm like, God. no way. So <laughs> I I put it down and I left. And then I went back like maybe a few days later and it was gone. Yeah. And they haven't been there since. Oh, yeah. So yep. I've been to Chapters twice this week and they're like, oh, it's, you know, it's coming. It'll be here in under three weeks. And I'm like, yeah, you said that like two <laughs> months ago. Uh, but anyway, so it's going to be ending with volume five, but yeah. there are also for people that, that dive into this and are looking for more, because I know that I certainly am. There are other, uh, not graphic novels, mm. but like YA novels yes. with art included that expand the story and feature and focus on maybe like characters that don't get as much time to shine. Absolutely. And the author has multiple other romance novels out as well, including Loveless and Radio Silence, which are both about asexual main characters. So very exciting Mm -hmm. to me. Yes, indeed. So Heartstopper. Heartstopper. I I started reading Heartstopper. (laughs) And you couldn't stop it. Right. (laughs) I fell in love with it. I know. Me too. I fell in love with it. Like I love I love Charlie. Mm-hmm. I really do. I oh love God, Charlie. Yes. But I love Nick. Yeah. I love Nick. I yeah. one of the things that I love so much about this series is that I think it does a really incredible job at presenting kids as they truly are. I agree. Yeah, you know, with all of their uh, all the complications that come with being like fifteen, sixteen, all the insecurities, mm-hmm. all the curiosity, all the gossiping, all the kind of butting your nose into business yeah. that isn't your own, and not really understanding how that's not cool. Like, mm-hmm. there's so much meddling. Oh, in like rumor mongering, <laughs> and all of these all of these things floating around. And I was getting so frustrated. But the reason that I was getting frustrated was because I see so much of, you know, my younger self reflected back at me through these characters. I'm just like, oh, God, why do you got to remind me of how, like, ignorant I was? The accuracy. Oh, absolutely. I I think it perfectly captures that teenage feeling, but it does it in such a cozy way. Because I think stories like this can be hard to read when they're that accurate <laughs> to you yes. know reflecting back on our teen years because who who doesn't feel pain when they think about that but <laughs> this story is cozy and comforting and certainly like emotional at times uh, very emotional at times but oh yeah it's definitely more comfort than hurt <laughs> So. Yeah, Bronwyn and I were talking about that, about the idea of it being hmm. like pure queer joy. Yes. And how it does deal with some very, you know, weighty mm-hmm. topics. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. does delve into the bullying. It mm-hmm. delves into the uh, confusion about your sexual identity. Absolutely. And it, it doesn't just – and this is a, another thing that I love about this mm-hmm. is that it doesn't just touch on those things. It really delves into it mm-hmm. and really goes into the heads of the characters mm-hmm. to like put you in their shoes, learn about their confusion and all of those things. And I, 
that's something that is rarely glossed over mm-hmm. in some content, especially when you're you're adapting something for television yeah. because there are rules and there are, you know, executives come in and they want things to be a certain way or there's like a queer quota right. that you're allowed to have with content like yeah. this where like you can you can say it you can you can dive into it but you can't mm-hmm. really show it mm-hmm. and this series uh is all about showing it and yeah. really putting that stuff uh in, in at the forefront yeah you know and yeah. i i think that that's a testament to Alice being directly yes. involved in the adaptation. Absolutely. I think that this show is the most like deeply queer feeling show. It's it's not just a show with queer characters, though basically everyone is. There is a token straight in the story. Um, but otherwise, it's just like a deeply queer show. But it also feels queer. Like you can tell it was made by someone who is, who is deeply connected to the community and made something that she loved and cared about for people who love and care about it. I mean, it's it's everywhere and it's both subtle and beautiful. Like there's shots of the school as they're walking in and there's always like a rainbow in the sky in the background. There's all this like little subtle stuff all the way through to remind you what you're watching. And I love it so much. You know what I love? I love the little animated flourishes that are in the show that the, it's very much, I would not be surprised if she drew them herself, but there are like every now and again, well, not every now and again, but like in the really heightened emotional mm-hmm. moments in Heartstopper, there will be, let's say if, if characters are touching hands for the first time, yeah. that fe- that electric feeling that you get, that excitedness yeah. that you get when you're, you know, uh, on the verge of a new relationship and you're experiencing physical contact, there are like little sparks, little lightning bolts and, and, you know, little actions that happen or, little leaves blow around the yeah. scene. It just, it really, it really heightens that emotion. Absolutely. I think. Absolutely. One of my favorite ones, there's a moment when the character Tao realizes he has a crush on his best friend for the first time. And you see the butterflies that he feels in his stomach, literally flying around the scene. And then there's yeah. just subtle touches. There's like a butterfly face paint on his cheek and there's a butterfly mural on the wall. Like every time he looks at her, there's subtle like butterflies everywhere. It's so good. I, I really yeah. want to like come up with a name for what this genre is this like, aesthetic romance genre because it reminds me a lot of like to all the boys i've loved before that movie as well ah yes right where everything has that like lovely aesthetic that the minute you look at it it makes you happier and it's got a very like surrealist color palette like this is the most beautiful high school anyone's ever gone to in their lives (laughs) (laughs) that art room that That art art room room is crazy I do not blame Charlie for taking his lunches in that art room. I love it. That place is amazing. Uh, Even the music block, which is a, you know, a really dark scene, but I was like, why is this so gorgeous? Like what is happening? The show, the show definitely has um, like Netflix has really stepped up their soundtrack game uh, for some of their original stuff. Like they got some really cool tracks to be in this show for sure. Oh gosh. Um, Yes. They also made an official mixtape for Spotify and I've been listening to it nonstop. <laughs> oh, did they really? They I did. didn't know that. They did. It's oh. so good. <laughs> Man, 
this is totally off topic, but like we started not off topic, but we started watching uh, Bridgerton season two. Oh, yay! And that show is known for doing like orchestral renditions yeah. of like '90s grunge. Yeah, and they do an orchestral version of Nirvana's "Stay Away." Amazing in that first episode, <laughs> oh and it God. took me like a good minute and a half to figure out what it was. That's so funny. And uh, once I did, I was like, "Oh my God, this is amazing." <laughs> I love it. So good. Uh, so good. So quickly, um, we'll get back to the show. We'll get back to the series. But what is your history with Heartstopper? How did you find it? Okay. So Heartstopper was my first ever webtoon. First ever. What? I know. It's, you know, our show would not be here without Heartstopper. Whoa. <laughs> um, so we can thank my my go, my Gotham Outsider co-host TJ for handing me Heartstopper volume one and the like physical one. Um, because I read it once, I fell deeply in love, got the app so I could read past where it was published, uh, and never looked back. But at this point I've read it uh billion times probably i reread it this week because i watched the show and then i wanted more so i just sat down and reread it again (laughs) Um, uh, so i don't know it's it's my it's my favorite webtoon other than maybe wayne family adventures and i i go back to it whenever i need to both be happy and cry (laughs) yes um i just realized that we probably should have set up what heartstopper is oh for my God. listeners that are unaware <laughs> my, my my apologies i've just oh absolutely. so we're we're sandwiching this in in the middle of the day while i'm supposed to be at work so That's okay um what can we do you want to do this yeah, or should yeah. I? heartstopper is a queer like teen romance cozy hurt comfort mostly comfort story about self-realization and first love and friendship and the importance of people in your life and also sometimes about mental health and how hard it is to be a teenager all in this package that is so beautifully aesthetic that it's just dopamine shot directly into your veins every time you look at it and like I said earlier, created by queer people for queer people. So it has that quality that makes it feel so real and so lived in. Um, and that is Heartstopper in a nutshell. That was great. Thanks. That was great. Uh, yeah, I think like what I love, I mean, I have a lot of things on my list mm-hmm. here and I'll, I'll go through them as I, oh, as I can. But like, I love that this series exists. I love yeah. that this show is out there. Um, I already mentioned about how it doesn't shy away from talking about real issues about bisexuality, oh, yeah. uncertainty, and sexual identity. Mm-hmm. Um, it covers a very wide spectrum mm-hmm. of different experiences. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the best like page to screen adaptations. Oh that I've ever seen. It's if not anyone, the best, in my opinion, honestly. Oh, it's yeah, it's way, it's way up there, and it might even be the best one. Like, I don't know how many listeners have seen the "I Kill Giants" movie mm. that came out a couple of years ago, um, adaptation of uh, Ken Nomura yeah. and uh, Joe Kelly's graphic I novel love series. That comic have not seen the movie yet, so oh I'll god, do that. the movie, the movie does what Heartstopper does in that it feels like it was lifted right off the page, mm. and in the case of Heartstopper. Like everything down from dialogue to the framing of certain yeah. shots, 
to the animated flourishes that we were talking about earlier, yes. like all of that stuff is directly ripped from mm-hmm. those pages and mm-hmm. put into the Netflix show, yeah. um, which is, I believe, you know, a product of Alice writing it mm-hmm. and being directly mm-hmm. involved in the making of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also takes characters that maybe like uh, they're, they're eventually called the Paris squad yes. uh, in Heartstopper. And so you do get, a good amount of the Paris squad through the webtoon or through the, the Mm -hmm. comic series, but the show Mm -hmm. really allows those characters to kind of live in their own spaces. Absolutely. And you do visit their different arcs and stories. There's a lot of Tao and L in the Netflix series, which is some of my favorite parts. Yeah. And Darcy and uh, Tara, because we really only get them as background in the comic and they get like, whole episode arcs in this and it's oh i could yes. i want to live in their relationship like i love those it, two <laughs> it also like having these having these i don't want to say secondary characters because that's a little mm-hmm. um what's the word i'm looking for well productive. like they're they're like friends right like the the friends yeah. of the main characters generally right like we don't we don't always get the opportunity to spend time with those characters because they're right. just kind of they're they're there for you like they're experiencing mm. the main characters mm-hmm. stories right and that's kind of your window to them but Absolutely. um i really love that darcy is kind of the show's uh seasoned gay and yes. how she reinforces the idea that things can and will get better yeah I do too. I also really like – so in the comic, there is later on, like very close to caught up with where we are now, these queer teachers that are introduced that are important. But the yeah. show front loads one of those characters and makes him like a central character. And I actually really appreciated that. So we have our elder, you know, gay art teacher uh, actually having a chance to be the one who's like supporting and mentoring Charlie. And – you know, some of the changes, like him being the one that ended the bullying instead of it being just some students we never meet. I really think that was powerful. I think it's something important that queer kids can grow up seeing that. Yeah, I, I it's funny that you said that. I said the exact same thing yeah. when we had our first real scene with that character. I cannot oh. remember his name, though. But um, the idea of him being a more prominent character and having – someone else for Charlie to share his feelings with and, and have that teacher working in a space where Charlie feels safe and can get away from the other students. Yes. You know, and, and I think that that was an important addition to the cast and to the story. I agree. This is one of the rare adaptations where everything that was added, I was like, Oh yeah, that, that was needed in the story. It was like the, it, everything is additive that that gets put into the series, right? Which I think is partially because she's getting the chance to retell the story that she loves so much. And she's adding in things probably that she wanted to the first time or thought of later that are really strong. So we have the teacher, especially. But then we have the new character of Isaac, who um, <laughs> kind Isaac. of – I love Isaac. He kind I do too. 
Go ahead. Oh, he kind of was like there's Alid in the comics who is not in this, and Isaac right. who takes over. Uh, Alid is basically not a character. <laughs> He's the only one in the comic that just there's nothing there really. Um, and to have Isaac be someone who, with very few lines, I think is just such a fun character. He's always just minding his business. He wants to read his books, but he's like oh, yeah. really sassy when he does talk. Also, Alice has confirmed on Twitter that he is asexual. So I'm get it, guessing we'll get that in season two, probably. Oh. I know. Right? <laughs> Speaking of characters that don't have big parts but make big impressions. Yes. Tori. Tori. Oh my God. I loved that character immediately oh when God. I was reading the books and I was so nervous uh-huh. about how they were going to adapt her for the television show. Oh how much God. are we gonna get of her? Are they gonna are they going to manage to create the appears? stuff uh, that she does this the, they do yeah, the, her sister magic <laughs> as she calls it she no everyone is everyone is perfectly class like we'll probably talk about this next um i guess but uh she looks like she they pulled her out of the book like i was baffled by how like alice must have imagined this person into existence because she is the character yeah it's in, it's incredible and all of all of the moments both in the book and in the show, there's a moment with her in the series. Yeah. Um, I'll just call it the dinner scene. Yeah. You know, I don't want to spoil it for anyone that's looking to read the books, but there's there's a scene with her where they're all sitting down mm. for dinner and mm. she her claws come out and oh. I really loved it. But I also loved that she's a little bit of like kind of like gloomy comic relief. Yes. But then she has that moment with Charlie later in the season mm-hmm. when he is, you know, getting down on himself and is it is really in the throes of depression yeah. and confusion. Yep. And she just all of that kind of Lydia Dietzness of her <laughs> melts yes! away. You know, and oh. she be she becomes the sister that he needs in that moment. What a queen. And it was so I, I can't I'm not afraid to admit this. Mm-hmm. I cried. I know so many times during our I know Bronwyn videoed you, so I know for a fact. <laughs> <laughs> no judgment here. You know I like literally the first note of music hit in the first episode and I cried from the rest of the season. So it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> They were, I will say, I will say though, they're mostly tears of joy. Yes. They were Okay, so let's move on to a, another topic entirely. I Ben and Harry. <laughs> for people that don't know, um, there are two characters. There's Ben and then there's Harry. Harry is more of your stereotypical mm-hmm. jock asshole. Mm torturer yeah um and ben is this narcissistic conf- piece of trash yeah oh, sorry. narcissistic you were say confused. Ma- <laughs> yeah. no, no no narcissistic but like manipulative yeah um definitely abusive physically oh, God, and mentally. yes uh, um, a sexual assaulter yes yeah and and not not i mean his his role has been slightly expanded for the show but it's amazing how much of an impact mm. these characters make while i mean harry's in it a, a little bit more cuz he's he's hanging out within the right. friend group and whatever but um when ben shows up 
it is just all around uncomfortable. Uh, there's a particular scene uh, in the music uh, show, the movie theater scene. Oh, the movie theater scene. The the parking lot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I want to talk I don't, about both I don't, scenes. <laughs> okay. I don't think that that was in no. the books. No. I think that was added for the show. He's in several more scenes in the show than he is in the books. Um, yeah. Because he is generally around in the in the show, like it, in the background a lot more, always an ominous presence. <laughs> like, oh my God. <laughs> yes. The the first scene, the first really dark scene we get with him, the music block scene, did you catch how much of a horror movie reveal it was that he was standing there? Yes. <laughs> the, way that we, the way that we get him through these like cutouts in the wall before we actually see him step forward, terrifying. Oh my God. Yeah, they do interesting things with the lighting for him, with the exception of the like the school field day thing that right. they're doing. There's like the both uh, the neighboring schools are together doing um, competitions and presentations and uh, everything like that. Obviously, takes place during a nice clear clear day, and mm-hmm. so that's going to be lit a certain way. But whenever Ben comes around, there is very ominous, menacing lighting, whether it's at the party. Or it's at the in the parking lot of the movie theater in like the the dim of the parking uh, parking lot lights, mm-hmm. and I. But the thing that I wanted to say is that I'm a big villain person. Mm-hmm. I, I I really really do enjoy villains, especially uh, in television and film. Yeah. Because one thing that I have to really remind myself of a lot is that these people are actors they're acting right yeah and so you get ben and you get harry and i'm sitting there on the couch with brahman i'm like i just want to see him get his face smashed (laughs) just like you know just like right there and then i'm thinking to myself you know so like i've seen the behind the scenes photos i've seen like some clips they're like and they're all smiling and hanging out with each other and laughing and i'm like you know what this is the malfoy problem all over again Oh my god i know i hope that they successfully much like tom felton continue to have a career where they're not only villains because they really did so well I'm guessing I'm saying I hope they have the Tom Felton route rather than the uh, I'm blanking on the actor's name even but John from um, the Falcon and Winter Soldier route where everyone just starts hating them because they're so good at being evil. (laughs) Oh, what is his name? Mm. What's the character's name? John in the Falcon and Winter Soldier. Oh, I alternate. Oh, 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 um, U.S. agent. Yeah. Alt Oh, I don't. I don't know the actor's name. I have no idea. He's a. Fa- he's related to a famous family. I just can't think of him at the moment. Um, uh, I'll. I'll look it up. I'll look okay, it up. but that guy like got hate mail because of his character being a you know basically a Nazi, um, and he was like, "I'm uh, not though." <laughs> Wyatt Russell. Wyatt Russell. Yes, related to uh, Kurt, Kurt Russell. Russell's kid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I knew it was somebody. Couldn't think of it. Um, yeah, so he got like real hate for that role, even though he's a very nice person by all accounts. So I'm hoping these children don't have that problem because they are children. It scares me a little bit because they were so good at being evil. Um, I don't want them to be bullied for it. I think it's going to happen no matter what. But they're kids. They're babies. I, as someone who works, and I mean, and this stuff is everywhere. Of course. 
But like as somebody who works for a film website, yeah. the comments section of, you know, like stuff that I've seen just today on a video that we released that people people don't think no before they do these things, before they say these things, because they say it yeah. and then they run away. Uh, and yeah. and it, there's no accountability oh, whatsoever. Yeah. And no one believes in there being consequences. Yeah. For this sort of thing. I, I mean, that's an entirely different conversation, but Oh no, no. I mean, I think it's a fair one. So, you know, listeners, please go out there and shower them with praise for their amazing performances because they are good people. Like, let them be the children they are acting in a role. Don't treat them yeah. like trash, please. And by the way, also understand, and on this is for videos specifically. Yeah. Videos are a collaborative effort. Sometimes you get narrators working with video yeah. uh, people and everything like that. And so do your research. There's credits at the end of these things yeah. for a reason. Okay. Find out who did what. And if you really have to direct your crap somewhere, make sure you're doing it to the right person or don't or do don't. it at all. Actually, let's just don't. <laughs> yeah. Generally speaking, you don't have to. You don't. Exactly. Just don't. This is a PSA. <laughs> Just stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And especially don't do it to children. I don't, you know, I mean, I know they're probably like 18 or whatever. They're still children. Please, please leave them alone. <laughs> I think the actor, Bronwyn said the actor that plays Nick, I think it's uh, Kit Connor, uh-huh. is 18 years old, but I'm not quite sure about yeah. the rest of the cast. Yeah, their brains uh, are still you- underdeveloped people. Be nice to them. <laughs> Do you want to do you want to share your thoughts about the cast? For oh, my God. OK, literally everyone is perfect. I have no idea. I've never seen casting this good. I, it's amazing. As soon as, uh, you know, the, the f- pictures were revealed of who they cast, it was like, how did they do this? These are the exact people. Where did they find the exact people in this comic? Oh, they're amazing. I love absolutely everyone. The acting is astounding from every character there's no like weak links in this cast at all everyone is just killing it uh the actors for charlie and nick especially but literally everyone else and even the people who have very small roles like darcy managed to bring so much to it that i just want to spend more time with them and i love every one of them so much let me ask you this do you speaking of characters we've gotten a lot of new ones But there's also a character or two that are missing Mm -hmm. from the show. And Mm -hmm. so Charlie has a younger brother. Yeah. And we we don't see him at all in season one of Hardstopper. Not that he is, you know, some pivotal character or anything like that. But I there is a certain amount of Nick being kind of welcomed into the family through the younger brother, and they share a lot of like page time together. Yeah. So and so, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I just i i don't I personally don't think that they're going to show up. Mm-hmm. Um, I just i I know it was one of the things that I noticed immediately, yeah. almost immediately. I was like, oh, weird. He's he's not there. Right. So we're missing younger brother. We're also missing um, Otis, Christian, and oh, I'm forgetting the third friend of Nick's that aren't shitty. Sai? <laughs> oh, Sai. Yeah. So Otis, uh, Otis, Christian, and Sai, I think is what I just said. Wow. Um, yes. Yeah, so we're missing them. I missed them the most. I'm not going to lie. I want, I really want them to be there in the next season um, because they were the ones we got to see the journey of them like 
learning to be better friends from. Right. See, my thought about that is I actually thought about that. I'm wondering if they are like if they were in the crowd they particularly. Are. I mean, they are like, because we see them in the the text message chain. Their their names are there. So okay. maybe they're going to be bumped up to more important later. I don't know. Like I'm wondering if they were part of that uh, movie theater crowd when um, when Her- when they met up and Harry was there and everything. Like, yeah. but if they're if they've been there all along, but they don't really emerge as characters yeah. until after all that beef is squashed. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that might be what's happening. I know that. I think they are there. I know that their names are in it. Like I said, and yeah. um, there's a couple of characters that look like them or p- actors that look like them. So I'm guessing that's who they are. So maybe they are going to be main and maybe a part of this is it is easier to have a bigger cast in a comic than in a show so maybe they're like going to introduce people a little more slowly um it's hard to have a huge cast of characters in a show i it can be really challenging to do what are your what are your thoughts about imogen because she's she's a new character as well i was wondering at first and i know bronwyn said this too that we were both like skeptical about this edition but the way that story goes is so sweet that i was like oh i love it yeah that that character gets a pretty nice arc and ends up being a decent person like most people are in this story so i liked her i i really thought that nick was gonna bungle it i did too he had like he like he 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 kicked it off with two lines and i was like Ooh, buddy like i know I know it's rough. It did lead to one of the single-handedly funniest scenes in the show, which was the conversation between Nick and his mom with the, do you like her? Her dog dies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the mom's just like, question mark. <laughs> like, what is happening? <laughs> that is, um, that's Olivia Coleman, is it yes, not? Yes, she is so good in this. I was really surprised to see her I in that role. Know. I was like, wow, like that's a that's a top tier, like the favorite actor in the show. And she's so good. Oh my god, I love it. Oh, I love her so much. It's really good. So do you think that the the television series, do you think that it it ended at a at a good point in the story? Like, how much of this do you think we're actually going to get? Like, let's Let's take the Netflix curse and throw it out the window. How long do you think this genuinely lasts? So here's my thought. I, I, I mean, you know, again, throwing the Netflix curse out the window. I think there's a chance it won't. It won't hurt this. I, I actually do think because we got all three "Tell the Boys I Loved Before" movies. This has a very similar appeal. I think. Um, yeah. So I feel there's going to be a spinoff for all I the boys too. I know. So I feel like I feel like we could potentially get a three season. So the the first season covers volumes one and two of the book, basically. Not qu- I don't think it quite gets to the end of volume two, um, if I remember correctly. But it ba- it like covers a big chunk. So potentially we could get a two or three season to finish out the story. I think. Mm-hmm. Um. I think we could do it. It's really crushing. Like it, like ratings or like at least um, ranking wise, it's number 10 everywhere apparently uh, or somewhere in the top 10 everywhere. And on Twitter, it's been trending for months basically since it was announced. So I'm hopeful. 
we could get the whole thing. Okay, that's good. I might be yeah, wrong. Yeah, I saw but- I saw trending the day like the weekend that it came out. I just it's one of those things where you got to kind of keep the train rolling yeah. with that sort of thing because Netflix in particular they're so terrible yeah. about doing the one season, two season, and then yeah. killing it off. Now, if we – I mean, could they finish the story in two seasons? Probably. They probably could. So if they found out in advance that it was only going to be two seasons, I bet they could do it. I'm just saying. Um, maybe with more than ten, eight episodes, though. I don't know they could do it in eight episodes. But I really don't think this – I mean, I guess it was a happy enough ending to stop there, but there's so much plot thread hanging. There's a lot, a lot of foreshadowing that if you've read the comics, you're like, oop, there it is. That's there. I see it. They're building it up. Um, yeah. But specifically, some of the mental health stuff gets hinted at real hard. Yeah, that's a big part of the third volume. Yeah. Um yeah. and even going into the going into the fourth, uh there's some business yeah. with Charlie that really right. kind of takes center stage. Yes, and one of the big parts of it that isn't I don't think super hinted at in the comics is much more explicitly like focus of the of the visual scene where I think if you don't know it's coming, you might miss it, but if you do know it's coming, you're like, "Oh, there it is." <laughs> Do you know what I'm referring to? I can't, I'm trying not to be spoilery. <laughs> yes, okay, yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We've got some stuff coming. So I really hope we get the whole thing. It's just somebody pointed out on Twitter. I don't know who it was, so I can't credit them, but it was a beautiful tweet where they were like, teenagers get to grow up with this story now and not just wa- watching Sherlock and suffering like the rest of us did. <laughs> <laughs> You know, not just watching BBC's Merlin and pretending they're gay, you know, actually get to have this story and our flag means death and all of these things that they get to see as teenagers and how beautiful that is. I need to see our flag means death. I keep hearing how amazing it is and I have yet to watch it. It is gay. <laughs> I, I love Taika Waititi and, know, and Reese Darby a whole lot. Me so. too. Um, Can do no Reservation Dogs was also <laughs> awesome. Have you seen that? I haven't seen Reservation Dogs. Oh, Reservation Dogs is great. Okay, I will add it. Yeah. It's good stuff. Good times. All right. Um, I think we can probably yeah. we could probably wrap it up here. I don't want to take I don't want to take too much away because uh, I believe you and yes. Bronwyn are plotting a, a deep I dive. Give a little bit of a teaser to your listeners. Yeah. Very soon. Very soon. Uh, hold on. Okay. This week, <laughs> can confirm. <laughs> I was, you can edit this out. I was literally waiting for Bronwyn's conf- confirmation tweet this whole time. She said yes. Okay. So <laughs> this week, coming out this week's episode will be our special Heartstopper comic slash show show on Thirsty on Tune. So it'll be a special spectacular celebrating both. And there may be some surprises that I have lined up associated with that. So. Oh, I don't even know what that means. Sure don't. Nobody does. Only I do. (laughs) What? You haven't even told Bronwyn? No, and I'm not going to. It's a surprise. (laughs) No. Yep. When are you doing this? When are you recording this? We're recording it tomorrow night. <laughs> oh. 
I will also try to edit it tomorrow night and send it to you tomorrow night. That's the plan, but we'll see how that I want. I want to be there. No, I, you you do it on your own. It's do you want to be there? Like, I I do want to be there, but in all honesty, I should probably do my job. I am sure? running the website this week. Are you sure? Uh, but but <laughs> if, if you, I find out if I find, well, I don't know. Maybe maybe you do want my voice in there. I I, don't know, I we could, would we love could, you we, to be there if you want to be there. All right, let's we'll talk off air. Maybe <laughs> maybe I can jump in. I don't want to. I don't want to insert myself no, into the show. Ins- it is. It is. You're not inserting yourself. I've invited you. <laughs> All right, we'll see. Stay tuned, listeners. We'll uh, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we're going to get back to the regularly scheduled program. But Chris, yeah. thank you so much for hopping on for this impromptu discussion Anytime. about Heartstopper. You know, I just, I need like a sound effect for my correspondent news when I pop in. <laughs> uh, gay, 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 correspondent news. Oh yeah. The news ticker. I love it. <laughs> we'll figure something out. Hey, you made the theme music for Thirsty on Tune. I'm sure you can come up with something. That's true. That is true. <laughs> You need, we both, well, actually, no, I would be pretty obnoxious with it. I was going to say, we need soundboards. Oh, my God. We should have soundboards anyway. That would just be fun. <laughs> I would probably lose my co-hosts. They would not want me being in charge, having access to a soundboard. I would be so obnoxious Maybe you with could it. get, like, a, a soundboard jar, like a swear jar. Like, you can do it so many times, but after that, it costs you. <laughs> I think the only thing that would be fair is if everyone had it so that every time that I make a horrible or awkward mm-hmm. joke, they can, you know. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> oh boy. All right. Where can our uh where can our listeners find you online? You can find me on Twitter at the Myth of Psyche or on Instagram at the Myth of Chris, because somebody stole my username. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, you can also find me at uh, Gotham Outsiders, my queer feminist Batman book club, or of course on Thirsty on Tune on this very channel. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah. Uh, and go and check out Heartstopper, both in uh, comic book form, and you can read it for free on Webtoon. Yes. Don't forget, you can read the whole damn thing. Absolutely. It's amazing. And uh, go, please go and check out the show on Netflix. Mm-hmm. We want more of it. Yes. We want it to, we want to see it to completion. We definitely yes. want there to be more seasons, yes. enough room to tell the full story. Yes. Uh, and tell all the other little stories that they're adding to, to the overall Heartstopper universe. 1000%. And once you're done watching it, just put it on autoplay and Netflix in the background. So it gets more and more streams. That's right. <laughs> All right, we are going to get back to our regularly scheduled Talking Comics podcast in just a moment. Sure. (laughs) Perfect. You're hired. All right, everybody, we are back. Thank you so much to Chris for joining me and for geeking out with me on Heartstopper. Uh, obviously, you just heard the spot. I, I, it's to die for. I absolutely love it so, so, so much, and I cannot recommend it enough. It will, uh, it will open some eyes and open some doors for you. I'm sure. Uh, let's do some news. All right. So, uh, Pig, if you have not seen it, it is an absolutely wonderful movie with Nicolas Cage doing. But Nicolas Cage does being amazing. 
going from something like Willy's Wonderland, something completely ridiculous, to acting his pants off in a movie that looked like it was going to be John Wick, except they killed his pig, and then wasn't that at all. At all. This movie has emotional depth like there's no tomorrow. I absolutely loved it. Now the director, Michael Cernoski, is going to write and direct. They're finally doing this. An adaptation of the graphic novel Sabrina for New Regency. So I read Sabrina a long time ago when the the idea of them adapting it first broke. Um, and it was interesting. Like, I don't remember everything about it, but it was very minimalist and dark and moody, but good. Mm-hmm. Like it was one of those books that kind of stayed with you for a couple of days after you read it. And I really, I still don't even know how I felt about it, but I can totally see where this could uh, end up being a really cool movie, especially with uh, with this dude at the helm. So the graphic novel fo- uh, follows a grieving man whose girlfriend goes missing and who goes to live with his old friend, an Air Force surveillance expert agent who is dealing with a failed marriage. After a grisly videotape is sent anonymously to news outlets, Sabrina's uh, disappearance goes viral. As the 24-hour news cycle and social media take hold of the story, the two men are targeted by vitriolic conspiracy theorists that threaten threaten their sense of the truth and their faith in each other. Okay, this is jogging my memory. This... This story is messed up. <laughs> this yeah. is a this is a really messed up story about the direct effects of social media and conspiracy theories and bullying and harassment that comes from people inserting themselves into other people's lives because they read something online and now they feel like they're a part of it and like they're opinions about it matter and this person needs to know what they think and how they feel about this thing to the point where it ends up being flat out like harassment and stalking and you're doing mental physical damage to these people and you don't care this is this is one of those stories it is very reading that synopsis totally jogged my memory for this this is a rough this is gonna be rough (laughs) it's not gonna be a happy movie no no, it's not going to be a happy movie, but I think it's going to be a good movie. Yeah. I have you, has anybody, am I the only one who's seen Pig? I have yes. not seen it. I have not seen okay. it. Okay. Uh, I know Joey's seen it, but I, I, Pig has this atmosphere to it. It has this, this sense of longing to it. And there's a, there's a, like a, there's a deep sadness to that movie. But it's also fascinating because you really you don't know where it's going to go next. Um, and I think that that creative eye, uh, especially if he's writing and directing it, I, I, I definitely trust this uh, filmmaker to take the story and to do something really cool with it. Um, this is more exciting than than I gave it credit for when we first launched into the story. I'm actually really excited about this now. When you originally uh, shared it, I thought Sabrina, the teenage witch, and then I had, yeah. then I remembered. I read this too a while back, and it is a dis, it is a disturbing book, but yeah, it, it sits with you for a while. So I can, I, I hope the mo- movie does it justice. 
Right. Like the con that the content might be my my thing because I like I like mm-hmm. the darker, moodier stories, but like definitely art wise, yeah. It wasn't something that screamed to me, but you'd be surprised by how much a like a, a minimalist is not the right word. Um stripped down. What would you call it, Sean? Stripped down, like just mm-hmm. simplified. Yeah. You know, like like there's no there's no fanciness to it. There's no pageantry. There's no like, oh, look at this panel, look at that panel. It is it is meant to feel kind of dreary and drab. Like the, those yeah. these are the lives that these people are living and the art reflects that. And um I think it 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 works uh to its credit quite well. Um I might give this another read. This is this has got me this has got me curious to go back to that. Make myself real sad. <laughs> All right. Um, this one kind of sucks, the story, but I, I, I completely understand it. Uh, Sony is delaying the release of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse Part 1. Um, as a positive, we did get a release date of March 29th, 2024 for Part 2. So we didn't have that before. The movie is moving from October 7th of this year, was supposed to come out this year, to June 2nd of next year. That is quite the wait. What I will say about this is take all the time that you need. Amen. Because that that movie, Spider-Verse, is... Up there with my favorite favorite movies of all time, favorite comic book movie of all time. Uh, I I want them to feel comfortable, to feel like this movie is complete, and for them to take every wild idea and every radical approach to animation and every new thing that they want to try, give them the time they need to realize and fine-tune those ideas into that movie because that's the movie that I want. I don't want something that's rushed just to meet some kind of deadline because COVID devastated your bottom line. Fuck that. So, and then we're, I mean, they're only going to be less than a year apart then, which will be good. That'll be, I mean, it sucks that we have to wait, but I think the, the, the release will be good that, you know, you won't have to wait that long for both of them. Hmm. Uh, Anybody else want to jump in on the spider verse stuff? I'm okay with it. I'll be honest with you. I, I, it's it's probably going to get a lot more of a, a sort of swing in the summer anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it seems like more ah. of a summer movie <laughs> than than a, a fall movie for me anyway. Um, so I think you'll, you'll get more excitement. And you'll probably get, because it is a summer movie, I, you, you may also get more of that youth summer vacation crowd. So I don't know. Ah, uh, the youth dollar. The youth dollar. Well, the parents <laughs> dollar for the youth. So that's right. But, but, you know. Mow that lawn. Go see Spider-Man. Exactly. <laughs> I'm okay with it. Uh, Bob, uh, what, yeah, uh, what do you think? Do not mind waiting if it's going to be of high quality as the first one. So what the heck? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Totally. You know, nobody no, nobody likes to wait. That is, a, that is a fact of life. But, you know, these things take time. And I... I after being given that first movie and seeing how amazing that was, the last thing I would want is for them to rush and and have it be something that the creators felt needed more time in the oven and that there were there were regrets 
about maybe they cut some corners or, you know, there was a sequence that they, they, they wanted to do this with it, but you know, time does not permit because animation takes forever. And uh, yeah, this is all, it's not great, but it's, it's probably great for the movie. Not good for people's patience, but you know, we, we, we will, we will soldier on, we will live. Uh, last but not least, uh, there was another story going around, but I unfortunately did not have time to research it and it looks to be pretty big. So maybe we'll bring it to the table next week. But, uh, with the recent Warner brothers discovery merger that has taken place and looks to be going through, uh, they're saying that they're rethinking, not only are they thinking about retooling the DC, EU and DC Entertainment as a whole. We kind of talked about that a little bit last week, I think. Uh, They're going to be moving some of the HBO Max projects to theaters. So this is not confirmed. This is a, we're thinking about doing this for X, Y, and Z reasons. Um, Batgirl is more than likely going to be going to theaters. Uh, Whether or not it will go simultaneous with HBO Max I don't know. I don't think so. I think this means that if they release it in theaters, you will have that 45-day window, and then it will be on HBO Max. I think the days of simultaneous releases are probably over uh, for the most part, especially for something like a big tentpole like this. Um, I mean, this is another thing. I, this is this is good. Like This is good for the movie. Um, I personally have really enjoyed the ability to watch things in the comfort of my own home. But I always kind of knew that that was a fleeting thing that would only last for so long. There are three movies in the theater right now that I've yet to see because we're super paranoid about going to the theaters right now because COVID cases are on the rise again. Uh, The only thing that I'm breaking this for is Dr. Strange when it comes out, but like between everything, everywhere, all at once, uh, the Northman and the unbearable weight of massive talent. Like all three of those movies are out right now and I haven't seen any of them and I'm dying, but I don't want to get sick. And you know, masks are a thing of the past right now because elections are coming up and uh, I am not willing to risk it for certain things. I will support the living crap out of those movies when they hit the home market. In the meantime, my ass is staying at home unless it's Dr. Strange. Um, anybody have any thoughts on the Batgirl news? Yeah, a couple of things. Number one, okay. whenever Warner Brothers or whenever a big studio says, releases a story that says we're thinking about it, they're waiting to see what the audience does because they want to make their final decision after that. They really mm-hmm. just want to see how the world, whether the world flips out or tears or whatever, 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 before they, before they make a decision. Secondly, having read that article... I really don't care what changes are happening behind the scenes at Warner Brothers. It just, it's just sort of like a, just consistently put out good movies and, and all can be forgiven. Um, third, I think this is bad for this Batgirl movie. You think so? I do. And I say that because the same people hmm. who will brave death and disease to go see the 27th origin story of Batman are not the people that are going to go see Batgirl. Um, That is very true. 
Um, and I think that cuts the audience in half because the people that were would have been like, you know what, this is pretty cool. I'll check this out on WB on on uh, HBO Max. Are probably not going to make as light a decision about paying money to go into the theater to see it. I hope I'm wrong. Um, I really do hope I'm wrong. I, I absolutely hope I'm wrong because I want this movie to be a massive success and sort of springboard these types of movies into the the the, the theater, into the the atmosphere more. But I just have a feeling that that's this is not the movie to experiment with this on. I, I feel like we want this to be. I don't know. I I I have positioned myself to really see this take off on HBO Max and maybe springboard a series of movies like this on HBO Max, sort of like separate from the, like Joey was saying with the Marvel movies, like with Falcon and Winter Soldier really just being a movie in six parts. Um, I kind of was looking at this to sort of take on that same role, um, but also give us the same sort of vibes that we would be getting. And I'm worried about that. The other thing I'm worried about is this is by the people that wrote um, Birds of Prey. Yeah, uh, I didn't love that movie. So you're the only one here that didn't love that movie. Yeah, come for me. I don't care. But I just I didn't love that movie. Now here's why I say this. This is the last thing I'm going to say. As much as I get tired of seeing the Batman origin stories, the Batman origin stories always lean into why he is Batman, meaning why he is qualified to be Batman. All the intense training and all the things that he had to do, all the experiences he had to do, the crazy, you know teachers in the mountains and all these things he had to do to hone his skills as a detective, blah, blah, blah. So it, even though it's long and drawn out, it, it ends up making sense that he has these skills. He's acquired these skills to be Batman. I don't feel like they did that in, in birds of prey with any of those characters. And so I'm hoping that they do that in this character so that we believe her as Batgirl. I want her to be as capable as any Batgirl we've ever seen on paper. I want her to be as smart. I want her to be as as brutal. I want her to be as, not brutal, but you know what I'm saying, in terms of fighting. I want her to be as skilled as any Barbara Gordon Batgirl that we've seen on paper. I don't want her to be a bumbling, you know, full of mistakes, doing things because she's lucky. I don't want her to be Alicia Silverstone is what I'm saying, but I just, I just, I want her <laughs> to, to really, I want this to be the Batgirl. Um, and you only get one shot at that because, you know, as we've seen with Catwoman, you get one shot and then that's it. Hmm. I think you bring up a lot of good points. Now I'm, now I'm concerned. Thanks. <laughs> I knew Thanks I for that. Buzz. No worries. Yeah, you really did. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you no. It's it's totally. Those are legitimate concerns. I you know, I would just I would caution to, and maybe this is just me making excuses. And I, I honestly, I don't know that I have the uh, the faith in DC Entertainment to. They seem to get scared very easily about growing characters over the course of time that I wish that there was some way to know that there was a larger plan for nope. background, nope. you know, nope. everything that's not there. <laughs> well, that's what, I, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Like so much of what comes out now hinges on its performance out of the gate. 
And like, yeah, Batgirl is going to draw a lot of attention, probably the wrong type of attention uh, for, you know, being a female superhero, uh, for not being, you know, not being the character that people expected to see. Mm-hmm. They, they changed her skin color and I'm about like, sit down, shut up. Like they need to let these characters breathe over time have a plan have not you don't necessarily have to have like a three film plan but option these people contract them out for more stuff and plan to do stuff with them in the future what i'm basically what i'm saying is if you don't get the ideal batgirl right out of the gate or or she reaches that um what's the word i'm looking for potential by the end of the movie then you could be in good shape if you know that there's another thing coming down the line. But if this ends up being a one and done for DC, cause it didn't perform like they needed it to. And they just, you know, put the co- the character into the margins of their, their DCEU. That's going to suck. So I, I have less concerns about the movie being made than about how the movie will be released and marketed and received by audiences on the DC side, not, thrilled with seeing a bat girl as opposed to the 47th batman mm-hmm. yep that too yep it is a hmm, i don't know i can't i can't i can't go into it because it's gonna end up being a whole rant i mean again, not that i didn't do that clear. already but yeah it's because i i really do want this to be a success i really do want this to be, i just yeah. want it to have all the opportunities to be a success and i don't believe that they have marketed it right now to catch the theatrical release audience um catch their attention yet um, no they've no, they, certainly we've not. seen nothing but a few stills yeah Correct. Yeah, they're gonna have to. I mean, they're they're gonna have to change their entire PR plan for this if they plan on doing something theatrical. They're gonna they're gonna need to do a lot. It's gonna have to be a showcased item at DC Fandom later this year. Um, I don't know where that falls in terms of its release window, but if it is a part of that show, they really they need to put it front and center and give it its own like half hour dedication thing with the cast all rounded up and you know quizzing each other about crap uh whatever it is they do at dc fandom great show (laughs) and i'm I'm not being a dick about it i really do think that they got a good thing going on with that um yeah i I don't know i I don't know i really you know i was feeling all uh all optimistic and then everything and now i'm uh (laughs) cautiously optimistic (laughs) but it's good it's good it's good to, to set your expectations all right, we gotta we gotta get out of here. We gotta do the thing where we tell people what books we're uh, looking forward to this week. I got a job to do. I gotta go to the Sony conference at CinemaCon. Uh, but is that that's it? Right? Like that's all the news. Yeah, it's all yeah, the books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, um, Bob, what are you picking up this Saga week? Saga Fifty Eight, Ms. Marvel Beyond the Limit Five, Trial of the Amazons, the finale issue number two. That's it. Right. Uh, Aaron, what are you getting? Or what do you, I got to change what I ask you. What, what books have you thought about this <laughs> week? There you go. There's a, the pool is uh, shallow this week. Um, uh, there's a there's saga floating around in there. There's death of justice league because I want to make sure it sticks. Uh, and then there's, 
Thor 24 and Knights of X number one and Aquaman three. And I was surprised and happily surprised to see shadow service number 11 coming out. Hey, nice. John, what are you uh, thinking about getting? Uh, I'm going to get that Batman beyond the white Knight number two justice league number 75 to see him die. Uh, <laughs> Robin number 13, Newburn number six, rogue son three, that saga thing. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man number one, Knights of X number one, and Thor number 24. Listen to this guy, that saga thing. Disrespect. I hear it. I hear it's good. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. It's fine. I don't know. It's not like it used to be, man. It was gone for two. I'm just kidding. It's not like it's it sold like two million issues or anything. <laughs> yeah. It's not like they made me wait three years for it or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm picking up that Batman Beyond the White Knight number two, Dark Knights of Steel number six, Detective uh, 1059, Harley Quinn 14, Rogues number two, uh, one of my most anticipated books of the week. I really, really enjoyed Rogues number one a lot. Um Ms. Marvel Beyond the Limit, number five. Bloodstained Teeth, number one. New series from Christian Ward. Uh, I've heard very, very good things. Vampire Story, so definitely got to check that out. Monstrous, number 39. Still going strong. Haven't read it in ages. Got to catch up with it. Uh, New Burn, number six. That little saga book, number 58. Uh, Something is Killing the Children, 22. And Step by Bloody Step, number three. Those are my books for this week. Uh, does anybody have any closing statements? Anything they want to share? Nope. nope. All right. Uh, for me, I have a couple of things like I usually do. Be on the lookout for a new Thirsty on Tune episode this week. Uh, like I said, it's likely going to be an in-depth look into Alice Osman's uh, Heartstopper, which you heard about earlier in this show. Uh, what else do we have going on? couple of videos. I've got a new uh, animation movies revisited coming out this week. This time it is for Robert Zemeckis's Who Framed Roger Rabbit. This is my one of my favorite, probably my second favorite one of these that we've done. This is also the final episode with my uh, video editing partner, Jasmine Evan Samuels. She is moving on to other projects uh, within her, her schooling and stuff like that. I wish her all the best. She's amazing. And um, so, yeah, so come by. Uh, that's going to be on the Joe Blow Originals YouTube channel. I'll be posting about it on, I guess, Tuesday. I'll be promoting that. Uh, and come and come and check it out. Like it. Subscribe, support it, because that's it's the only way I get to do more of these things is if people pay attention. So uh, I enjoy doing it, and I invite you all to come and check it out. And plus, who doesn't love Who Framed Roger Rabbit? I found out some really cool things about it, and uh, we share it in the video. It's a lot of fun. Um, I feel like there was something else, but uh, I can't remember what it was. So it must not have been that important. All right. Uh, we've reached the end of this week's edition of the Talking Comics Podcast. As always, you could send us your comments or questions through our email, podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com. We are also on Twitter at Talking Comics. Bob, where can our listeners find Old you? Old-fashioned email, Bob Ryer at talkingcomicbooks.com. Aaron. At Aaron J. Amos. John. At John P. Burkle. Yay! Joey is at Joey Bracino. On the internet, uh, I am at 
dead underscore anchorus. So for Bob, What's the lumbago. For Aaron, what he said. For John, good night. For me, uh, be excellent to each other, and until next time on the Talking Comics podcast, to be continued. Continued.